0: He up.
1: and the Nerds Who Wanted Themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a movie they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. If you're a regular listener, thank you and welcome back to the show. And if you join us for the first time, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen and checking us out. I hope you enjoy the film talk and, as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the And Why Not group on Facebook or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode, I'm joined by Ross Beamish, as we take him back to 1996 to celebrate the 4th of July with the Roland Emmerich sci-fi disaster blockbuster, Independence Day. And now, with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer!
2: Whole sir, yet over 15 miles and with themselves. Where are they heading?
0: They should be entering our atmosphere within the next 25 minutes. Let's just get there as quickly as possible. What's the rush, huh?
1: Think we'll get to Washington and won't be there? It it's like a chess.
0: First, their positioner pieces use this one signal to synchronize their efforts. And then what? Checkmate. Oh God. I really don't think they flew 90 billion light years to start a fight. Oh,
3: gonna stop gonna oh God, I hope they bring back Elvis!
1: Teaser, that's all. Hello Ross, how are you? Hey Stu, I am doing well. Are you well? I'm alright, I'm a bit warm. It's I, I don't like this sudden shift of summery weather. I mean, oh, no, it's okay. nice,
2: but at the same time. <laughs> i got to tell you, I'm a summer guy, so uh, I live for it. But it's a little warm. Could you see this almost like laser... <laughs> Quietly across my face. I told you. my. You study... look like you're about to have a num flashback. <laughs> um. Yeah, I did. Like, I could see helicopters coming out towards <laughs> me, you know, but it's... Uh, I told you, this study faces the sun and it gets hot, so I'm glad I can have my fan on without it ruining the sound quality of your recording here. Yeah, I'm sort of bang in the middle of the house, but
1: it's still warm. Like I say, I'm very much a Goldilocks person. I'd like it neither too hot nor too cold. I like those sort of just perfect in the middle days, but... But anyway, speaking of hot and sweaty, uh, we're going back to the summer of 96. We took you out of 96 to 97, and, you know, the world went a little bit wrong, so we figured it's safe to pull you back to 96, but you can bring James Ribhorn with you.
2: Yeah, and actually, there are some references at the very start I'm going to make to uh, the last film we talked about in this one. So, um, yeah, back to my comfort zone in 1996. (laughs)
1: awesome all right and so yeah for anybody who didn't see the thumbnail that comes with the episode we're talking about independence day so a little bit of info about the film so directed by roland emmerich written by dean devlin and roland emmerich and starring will smith bill pullman jeff goldblum mary mcdonnell judd hirsch uh, margaret collin randy quaid robert Lozier, james Rebhorn, and harvey feinstein uh fernstein and they're not on the poster, but also starring Adam Baldwin, Brent Spiner, and Vivica A. Fox. Which, given how much Vivica A. Fox is in the film, it surprises me that she's not on the poster, but Harvey Weinstein is. Who was uh, Jeff Goldblum's boss in the film, so he's not in it for very long. Uh, but I guess he just was a bigger name. So anyway, released in cinemas, according to IMDb, on the 3rd of July 1996 in the US, and then we got it on the 9th of August ninety-six, in the UK. According to IMDb, it... It had a worldwide gross of 817400896 uh, on an estimated budget of $75 million. Uh Roger Ebert gave the film two and a half stars out of four, saying, Independence Day is not just an uh, inheritor of the 1950s fine saucer genre, it's a virtual retread. Although the special effects in Independence Day are elaborate and pervasive, they aren't outstanding. Still, Independence Day is in the tradition of silly summer fun, and on that level, I kind of liked it. Um, I couldn't find a Barry Norman review because they always tended to take the summer off. But Kim Newman gave the film four stars out of five in Empire saying Independence Day comes close to being a great film, even though it violates the so-called first rule of Hollywood that you can't make a good film without a good script. It only has a truly ridiculous script, but has a deadening dose of religiosity and even a crippling orgy of red, white and blue patriotic pride. What you get for your money is not depth, but breadth. And here is where Independence Day delivers taking Hollywood ridiculousness to a, to unscaled heights. This may be the biggest guilty pleasure of all time, but what a guilty pleasure it is. Hell I do yeah. hate the term
2: guilty pleasure, but I get what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, that's not a favourite term, because it's used so... Uh, it's passé as hell, isn't it? It always reminds me of the Darrow Brian thing of it's an insult to both guilt and pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: either but, like something or you don't.
2: <laughs> do agree <laughs> yeah. with what he said, though. This is distilled murica.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. It's I won't say the line, but I get the Team America thing pop in my head every time <laughs> certain bits happen. <laughs> so yeah, that's that. So sort of what are your memories of seeing the film, the film coming out? Because I mean we're going back to the summer of ninety six. Yeah. That was, bu-
2: that was a busy summer for me going to the movies and you. So <laughs> uh, pop, I- we were in our mid teens-ish. Yeah. So context-wise, before I talk about actually going to see the film, I'll tell you about what I was like as uh, what, 14-year-old? Yeah, nearly 15, 14-and-a-half year-old at that time. Um, And I think I'd mentioned before, but I was just a fanatic on like paranormal stuff. Um, Ghosts, ESP, spontaneous human human combustion, uh, but especially aliens. Love them. And I think Part of it was that I always loved like spooky stuff. Anyway, but the um, the X Files, I was just yeah. especially at this time. It was like pink X Files at this point, and of course, there's a sneaky little box yeah. in there as well that we'll come back to in a bit. But um, so I was I was just like I was the kind of guy who would like run home on a on a Sunday evening or a Tuesday evening or whenever it was being shown on bbc2 whatever get the vhs ready put it in record the episode and then just have them all stored up on my and uh, had all the books and all that stuff and just kept buying the 14 times and all that stuff and just let and even my pocket money went on that kind of stuff and um because of that then i heard this 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 amazing like by the way it was a it was a big budget so this big budget Hollywood movie was coming out, made by the studio that made the TV show that I loved. And it was about aliens. And uh, also being a teenager, it was like, they said it was quite action based as well, which I thought, okay, pretty cool. But I'm in it for the uh, for the uh, extraterrestrials, please. And um, so I was sold and I became like really, really obsessed with this movie before knowing anything about it. Um, so that was really good marketing to a teenage kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, because it's easy to forget that this was first season or first couple of seasons of X Files In by this point. Um, so that was huge. If you grew up in the UK Friday nights on ITV, you had Strange but True, which was either
2: ghosts or alien things yeah. with Michael Aspel. Uh, <laughs> which Did we have um like wasn't Wasn't the the remake of or the re, redoing of Outer Limits on at this time? I as think well? it was as well. Yeah, it was. And uh, then they they had like Dark Skies or something like that, which was yeah, a Dark
1: Skies, which was like the, the it was Branders and X Files knockoff, wasn't it? Um, yeah, you had that. You had was
2: it Space Above and
1: Beyond? You had all these sorts of things. Was that slightly later? The '90s all starts to bleed into yeah. one for me in place. And the,
2: the early '80s even like grown into that. There was the eerie in. Indi- Do you remember eerie yeah. Indiana?
1: Yeah, you had all the kids' stuff like that, and then even there was Star all... Trek was massive then.
2: Yeah, yeah you had oh, next my... gen going into Deep Space Nine, going into Voyager, going into Enterprise. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, and that was getting home from school, getting a biscuit, or whatever, and a cup of tea, and then watching the cartoons, and then maybe doing maybe doing thirty minutes of homework, and then six o'clock, next generation or Deep Space That's Nine it. comes on, and you are like, right, this is me. This is where I am getting my education. That's it, because
1: I was 16 going on 17, so I'd just finished sixth form and was going out into the world of getting a job in retail, you know, living my best life. Um, so, so I was on the cusp of no longer being a kid kind of thing. Um, But yeah, I saw this film on the 8th of August, 1996 at Gloucester Cinema, back when it was still a virgin cinema, um, as in the company Virgin, not a cinema that nobody had touched. Um, was it?
2: it was a kind crikey it was wasn't it yeah Jeez, yeah
1: just it was a MGM then a virgin then I can't remember what the middle one was I had a whole conversation with somebody about it not long ago but um yeah so that was great I mean that was the eighth and it said it came out on the ninth so I'm guessing we got it a day early I guess the but the hype for this film I remember picking up a copy of Premier magazine. Because Smiths used to get it imported from America, and had a whole thing on Independence Day, and that was the first time that film came on my radar. Yeah, and then I remember the bus stop ads and the billboard posters, and
3: stuff oh, actually yeah, coming
1: up on
2: TV. The marketing was like I'd never, I don't think I'd ever experienced such marketing because I was really in tune with what I just anything that had the poster on, I was like, right, what's this? Because you've got my attention now. Um, but I remember it just being phenomenal. Yeah, because it's the big spaceship over New York, wasn't it? Yeah. In fact, I remember calling up Stagecoach or whatever it was at the time. It's probably still Stagecoach. Because I remember seeing this huge poster on a bus stop and ringing them up and going, when you're done with that, can I have it? <laughs> and they were like, it's really nothing to do with us. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's, paid, it's advertising that's paid for by this separate company. And I was like, oh, no. And then I think the next day I'd seen that the the glass cover had been like ripped up and the poster had been ripped out anyway. And yeah, that was a up. major thing, wasn't it? Nicking things from bus stops. Yeah, I, I can. I'm saying now on this recorded podcast, I was as gutted as anyone else because I would have nicked it if I'd have got there first.
1: <laughs> that is a nice big Independence Day poster hanging me orange though. A bit torn at the edges from where right to yank it, where the glass broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean so yeah, this film is huge and it wasn't until it sort of came out on video, I think, that they did the floating heads, or maybe even DVD, where they did the floating heads of Will Smith, Bill Pullman and Jeff Goldblum. There was no names attached to it. No. Again, you forget at the time Will Smith wasn't the Will Smith he is now.
3: Yeah.
1: Or even think- a few years ago, or even a year or two after Independence Day, Will Smith.
2: With it being so huge, it really did seem to fade into the time, into the yeah. sands of 1996 history very quickly. Following, um, I mean, I suppose there would have been the the classic one where having a um, a premiere on terrestrial TV would have probably still meant something around about that time, like yeah. mid to late 90s. So maybe when it came onto the TV, people went, oh, it paid attention, but. Yeah, because I got a feeling it was '99 that it got its big premiere, possibly on Channel Five. Yeah, that I sounds about right. right. That sounds wrong, exactly. But... That sounds so on brand for Channel Five.
1: Because I remember it came out on video early 1997. Because I remember the shop I worked in played Virgin Radio all the time, and they kept showing playing the same audio advert for the film coming out on video. Right.
2: Um, if you if you think about like because Channel Five would have come out. R- roughly around that time, maybe, you know, maybe 97, 98. It might have been,
1: yeah, it might have been 97 because I remember there being postcards in the cinema advertising Channel Five because one with Michelle Pfeiffer on it. It was yeah. like, you know, the home of movies, Channel Five because they did big Thursday night movies, I think it was. Yeah. Something like
2: that. And I, but this seems so on brand for the target audience for Channel Five of that era. Yeah. I mean, especially that time with the whole movie thing. And the, the kind of audience that this would have attracted. So because I always remember Channel Five being the new Channel Four in terms of oh it's showing risque stuff on a Friday yeah. night plus. So, so obviously it was like teenage. So obviously boys we were all watching film. it, yeah. 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 and then and then of course the movie thing. Um and this would have been right up there with the target audience just for a teenage boys or or saddle owners in the one Bedroom Flats or something.
1: Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that
1: was me in 1999. I suppose as well, it'd be the perfect time to premiere on telly because you had Star Wars, Matrix, a load of sci-fi type films coming out in 1999 at the cinema as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's so, good synergy there. But, but yes, yeah, so I mean, that's sort of where I was with the film, where the world was with the film coming out. It sort of came from nowhere because I'd not seen Stargate at the time either.
2: Had you not? I think I saw Stargate after the fact. Actually no, had I seen Stargate, that really surprises me. I'd have thought you'd have been like me; you'd have been at the cinema watching that. I it. think I
1: bought Stargate on video just before. No, I think yeah, I think it was after because it was like you know from the people who made
2: Independence Day. Oh, because um, again, like that was Stargate was what ninety four. Yeah, it was so the that one was did before this. That was like just in line with probably the first series of um, X Files when it came out over here, and then this was the first really big like alien based sci-fi yeah. movie that and i was like mate i'm sold and i know we're talking about independence day but the whole stargate mm-hmm. graphics of the time um just really blew me away so yeah, stargate
1: than... sort of came out at that time where i was more into like the nightmare on elm street films the halloween films that sort yeah. of thing in that way that as a teenager you go through phases where nothing else matters but this kind of thing yeah um and I wasn't watching film regularly then on BBC, so I wouldn't get that. And I wasn't buying Empire at the time. So unless it was advertised in something, I was getting, like,
2: looking. You've just made me realise how Roland Emmerich got me hook, line and sinker twice. Basically for the, <laughs> sa- the same reason. <laughs> within a couple of years. It's Yeah, it wasn't Moonfall, was it? <laughs> uh, no, for- <laughs> I can carry it. I've written a note here on just some of the but like post screening notes about. I was I just wrote is is Emmerich really just a one trick pony? Yeah, I think I he mean, is. Yeah, um, there we go.
1: There's the answer. Yep, because it cracks me up whether they were like you know how reliant they were on practical effects in this doing models that sort of thing, and it's like yeah. this from the director of Moonfall. Yeah, which is one of those so bad you kind of, Moonfall. Going off track slightly, but Moonfall is one of those films where you're like, this film can't get any dumber.
2: And then the film goes, Oh, my beer. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't go there. I just couldn't watch it. Uh, It was one of those ones I had to.
1: It was on Amazon Prime, and I was like, I've just got to watch it. I'm in the mood for something that I can, if I have to turn it off and walk away. It's just like, it got so much dumber as it went on. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) But not great. But awesome. So all right then. So we're going to do it. Usually we jump all over the place, or sometimes we jump all over the place on these. But we're going to do it a bit more in chronological chronological order of the film, yeah. And As we watched it, kind of thing. So I watched it last night. Not that I needed a refresher because I watched it the last three years. I think on July fourth. Oh right. Mainly to annoy Catherine.
2: Okay. Have <laughs> been like it's July fourth. We're watching Independence Day tonight. She's like, I'm going to bed then. Well, I, I did, like you, I watched it last night, but it's unlike you, it's been years since I watched it. In fact, I was trying to rack my brains and um, going back to talking about seeing it at the cinema, I saw it at least twice, if not three times at the cinema. Um, and kind of, I guess, spoiling for my feelings about the film, but I'll say them now. The first time I watched it, it was one of those classic, I suppose, like um, kind of Force Awakens moment where you slightly coloured by your hopes and your expectations of it. So maybe I enjoyed it a little bit more than I should have on the first screening. This is definitely a cinema movie as well though. Yeah, I think in Kim Newman's
1: review further on he's like, it's going to lose stuff when you watch it at home on videotape. He's like, so watch it in the cinema while you can. Ah,
2: But funny enough, but he was writing, and that's true of that time, but I'm not so sure if it's true of now. Yeah. with the way the home cinema is and 4 yeah. screens and all that kind of stuff and great cinema stuff, but um, it's not a little wooden box in the corner of your room anymore, is it? <laughs> exactly, and it's so immersive in home home entertainment that's very very you know consumer priced for most for many people to have access to, and you know most people have 4K TVs and even you know I watched it on a 4K stream yesterday. It was just normal. That's just normal for you know Netflix, Disney, or whatever to yeah. have. You just go, that's, this is par now, um, rather than having a not even a widescreen VHS on a 14-inch TV. <laughs> well, that's it, because my brother was the one who
1: bought it on video, because I really wanted to buy it on video, but then I watched his a couple of times, and I was like, this film's not as good as I remember it being, kind of thing. Yeah. And then I don't think it was until they released the two-disc special edition DVD in the early 2000s with the extended cut on it yeah. that I actually watched it again. Um, and we'll get into the extended cut a bit later. Yeah, um, because you know, I finally got to because you've got it as well. But the Independence Day official magazine, yeah, that came out just before the film has a couple of pictures in it aren't in the film, which is the guy holding the the world is or the end is nigh or whatever it is in the rubble.
2: Yeah, and little bits like that that aren't actually in the film. Yeah, and I had no idea there was a special edition until you'd said yesterday. Just yeah, because I thought I better better make it clear that we're going to be talking about the theatrical cut rather. I was like, what? There's more than one? Yeah, (laughs) really. There is a director's
1: cut, which does add some nice stuff, but also, like I say, we'll get into it later.
2: So yeah, and um, so I would watched it once at the cinema, and really was like, "Yeah, man, hell yeah, America," and all this stuff, right? For a fourteen-year-old kid, and then I went back and I watched it, and actually, very similar experience to watching the um, the Force Awakens, where I, I kind of like the scales had fallen from my eyes a little bit, and I'm like kind of going to force myself a bit to enjoy this film just because it's about aliens and it's you know like all that stuff and then I think the third time if I went back maybe I watched it with a friend and I actually was I think I was quite bored but having watched it again last night I can totally appreciate it on a different level and particularly from the um just through more mature eyes looking at the performances of say Bill Pullman especially and the, the more political angles that he was going on. Of course, watching it as a 14-year-old kid couldn't really... But yeah, there's the president or whatever. But
1: yeah, You just wanted to watch the smashy, blowy, blowing up, uh, fight you, fight you stuff. <laughs>
2: well, there was... Yeah, yes and no, actually. Or, or to I, a degree, you, you wanted to get to those bits. The, the, like I said, the stuff I liked was because I liked the X-Files, which was... Yeah. yeah, it was like kind of scary, creepy, alien stuff, a little bit more cerebral than just like welcome to earth <laughs> yeah. um but it was it I didn't put it this way I hadn't exactly watched west wing when I was 14 yeah and and having seen having loved you know fallen in love with that show since and and, and love politics and especially american politics i can see it from a completely different perspective a different prism now yeah. so um yeah i mean at the end obviously we give our final thoughts and everything but the my memory of watching it when you said, "Do you want to watch this?" You you know, do a podcast on it. I was like, "Yeah, of course." You know, like, I'd love love to do a podcast with you, but this wouldn't have been a film I'd have chosen. Yeah, but I'm really I'm really glad you did because I got I've now got to see it in a different way and appreciate it in a different way. That's it. Because this is one of those films that it, it's such
1: a moment in time kind of encapsulation of it, and I mean possibly get into that a bit more again when we talk later about sequels and the like. Yeah. Um, But it just sort of captures that moment for me, where I was, I can remember it, and that sort of thing. And,
2: yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a nice little time capsule that takes you back kind of thing. It really is, man. It really is, in so many different ways.
0: Get him out of here! Hey, hey, don't tell him to shut up! You'll all be dead now if it wasn't my David. None of you did anything to prevent this. There's nothing we could do. We were totally unprepared for this. Ah! Don't give me unprepared. Come on, Julie. It was what in the 1950s? or uh, whatever. You you had that uh, spaceship. Dad, not Dad. Really yeah, yeah oh. that thing that you found in New Mexico. Dad, where was that? Not no, not the spaceship. It was, it was that Roswell? Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah. Do no, thing. you had the spaceship, and you had the bodies. They were all locked up in a in a bunker. Where was that? David. I don't know. Area fifty-one, right? Area fifty-one. You knew then, and you did nothing, sir. Regardless of what you may have read in the tabloids, there have never been any spacecraft recovered by our government. Take my word for it, there's no Area 51. (laughs) There's no recovered spaceship. Oh, excuse me, Mr. President? That's not entirely accurate.
1: What? Which part? So yeah, the film opens with the explodey Twentieth Century Fox, Roland Emmerich, Independence Day. And then Yeah, I
2: actually I actually said I actually said that was really scary. Yeah. And that was why I was like, yeah, man, because this is like X Files is scary. And when it's got the graphics of the um Independence Day and it, it goes, of goes Yeah. And it flies towards you. And I thought funny enough, that was really similar to the game, you know, with the puzzle yeah. pieces. And I was like, is this like a nineties thing with opening titles <laughs> where everything you're like flying through them? Yeah, I don't know if it's like, you know, they would reach the point
1: with the technology where they could do it. Again, that sounded great in the cinema. This is one of those films that I can remember weird micro details about seeing it in the cinema over necessarily the
2: experience as a whole, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I know I know exactly what you mean with that audio. And it really yeah. when saw when we saw the um the Attack of the Clones. Yeah. The cinema, I mean, obviously that film, not good, but the bit when they're flying through the um uh asteroid belt or whatever yeah. it's the sonic bombs and they go and then yeah. it's silent for a few seconds and it washes over you and I just remember thinking oh my god this is like going to Epcot or something <laughs> I
1: love I how I love that sound from that bit in the thing but um but yeah it's, it's got a really nice opening it sort of lays the groundwork nicely it does a nice jaws thing of I mean well, obviously maybe- we know what it is because we've all seen the posters but
2: of like, exactly, you know, the shadow casting across the. Uh... Said exactly the same note here, just like Jaws. So you know, obviously, we know our films, and if we're thinking the same thing, they've they that was very very intentional. I thought the um, the opening shot on the moon when it fades in from that archive photo, yeah, and um and then it's got the uh, the classic the bugle, the yeah. <laughs> Uh, not that that was the tune, but you, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, this is why I don't write military songs. Um, and the Neil Armstrong voice clip. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the the it's so it just exudes America from the start. Yeah, and I can just I, I'm not obviously American, but I can imagine being an American watching this around the Fourth of July, and that's the opening. Well, so it's, it's interesting because it's
1: not Roland Emmerich's not American either. No, but it. And in some ways, it's sort of very pro-American. You know, we came to the moon, we conquered the moon kind of thing. But then it's also kind of like this. Yeah, that's nothing. Look at this. And all their footprints shake away. And the uh, tower yeah, track shake away. So,
2: that's so great. It's, I said, actually, I love how the shaking of the approaching spacecraft raises the first steps. It's so ominous. It's... Um, And it's interesting. You say, it, but it's true that Emmerich isn't an American. But I don't think that makes... That is necessarily... Uh, uh, something to to be concerned about because
1: oh no, no, I don't either I'm th- there is a thing in my mind of like what would the Michael Bay version of this be? <laughs> Probably
2: yeah not dissimilar, man yeah uh, but you know like one of the greatest films of all time, Casablanca um directed by Michael Curtis, Hungarian director I mean prolific director of Hollywood film and that film is literally propaganda. Yeah, or uh, the Allied um, invasion of North Africa, um, and it didn't matter that Curtiz was Hungarian. In fact, it was important that he was Hungarian because uh, of his history with the um, his family being kicked out of uh, Europe as a result. Yeah, um, but to, to be able to kind of like be adopted into America and to be working within this studio system allowed that that pro-American pro-american angle to flourish. Of course yeah. this is pre Of course it, this is pre 9/11 as well so it's yeah. interesting just how that because we see the twin towers in the film as well don't we yeah briefly i uh it's one of those
1: things that i often see it in films as like don't make a note about it because you
2: know <laughs> yeah because you see
1: the shadow travel up it as well as the ship.
2: yeah it's yeah. um, jumping jump slightly ahead but um, but to- talking of you said before about it being a time capsule and it absolutely is i mean a slight side note but i've got I really feel compelled to say it is that um yes there are many films out there that are and, and songs and books and things that are problematic from our perspective these days right and I think that there is a place to have things like trigger warnings at the front of a book or at the front of a film to say this might contain content that you might make you feel uncomfortable if you've had certain experiences or you're um, a certain type of person but i really feel strongly that they should just be left as they are yeah. screened in appropriate places you know with appropriate warnings that go before but they are time capsules and the as sad as as terrible ter- awful as it is to for us to know now what new york had gone through only a few short years after it's still a time capsule of this era
1: well, I say it, because you think it's only five years after this film came out that 9-11 happened. And yeah. it sounds crass to say it, but watching 9-11 on the news was a bit like, this is like Independence Day. You know, not it's, exactly, but, you know, it's like that scale of, it's like watching it's, a movie.
2: Man, it's not crass at all. And I know that I've said this um, to people I know beforehand. Everyone's had... it's For me, it was the where were you when Elvis died moment. Where were, where were you, in, for people of us who were alive at the time, where were you when you first heard about 9-11? Because I really think for the West, it was a, a, a dichotomy change, right? And for me, I was in, you were talking before about your one-bedroom flat loner thing. I was a 17, 18-year-old doing exactly the same thing. I'd come out of the shower or whatever. I had the TV on, the news was on, and I looked around, and I went, this, this like, this mid-morning movie is a bit, Doll, why, why isn't the shot changing? Because it was just a disaster film, right? Yeah. New York. And like, what, what's going on? And like this is this is crummy, crummy cinematography. And then of course it dawned on me, and then the second plane came in. Yeah. And um it it is so true, I think, what you said about us being not not desensitized in any way, but becoming more familiar with the destructive imagery because of things like Independence Day and so forth that well, that's
1: it's, it, because you look at Independence Day
2: after the fact now and it
1: doesn't look like nine eleven. Kind yeah. of it doesn't look real at all. The way that some of the buildings blow out and that sort of thing. Again, it's a different kind, it's a fireball rather than yeah, what happened then. And I'm again I'm not you know, belittling nine eleven at all, anything no. like that. Um but it's so you sort of look at it now and it, it's different enough that you can then still watch this and, I mean, again, people who went through 9-11 possibly may not be able to watch films like this anymore. Yes. Um, But I'd argue after 9-11, once people saw how things like that happen, it changed how they started to do that. You look at something like Man of Steel, maybe, and the way the buildings come down in Man of Steel, and it's like, that's a post 9-11 version of a city being levelled kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Um, And of course, like, Sophistication of audiences changes, so yeah. you know things that I was trying to think of something. Superman three with the uh where the lady gets turned into the robot. Yeah, I remember being absolutely terrified of that as a kid, and then rewatching it on YouTube a couple of weeks ago. Going, is it still that terrifying? And then just going, what on earth was I thinking of? You know, just I had it
1: recently it. with Young Sherlock Holmes.
2: I picked it up on
1: a whim. And I was like, no, I remember, is, no, I remember no, being no, terrified. No, that no it wasn't that, It's where they sacrificed the girl. Yeah. That really disturbed me as a kid. And when I watched it in the thing, it's like it's still disturbing, but it's nowhere near how it's played over in my head for the last 25 years.
2: Yeah. No, that graphic, that that ILM graphic, yeah, um, that, that is terrifying. Uh it's almost because of how crude it was in its digital effects that yeah. it was terrifying about. But of course, um now audiences are far more. Partly because of video, I actually think it's partly because of video game graphics. Yeah. You know, like when we back in '96, we were playing Super Mario 64, and yeah. uh, and Tekken 2, and whatever. And that,
1: that was and let's the- not forget the cinema in the demo for Echo the Dolphin and how we all thought that looked so lifelike and real. Yeah, and now you look at Echo the Dolphin now, and you're like, really? Yeah, ah, like, oh, right. the naivety of youth. 60 was last processing on that? It. it was like was the most that- realistic looking dolphin I'd ever seen. Like, yeah. computer-generated. But, but um, yes. So sort of back to this, you get the Star Wars shot then
2: of the ship going I, over... I actually said it reminded me of Red Dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah, know? actually. I wonder if... Just Red needed a big meteor sticking at the bottom of it. Yeah, I just wonder if Red... If uh, Red and Emmerich had gone... I know they're going to compare this to the Star Destroyer, but actually it's an homage to Red Dwarf. <laughs>
1: It's weird, I didn't pick up on that because I've just rewatched all of Red Dwarf. But, <laughs> um, and then we cut to see, I love these little bits that we now cut to. Um, side note, it's REM, end of the world as we know it, uh, yeah, man. But in The Trader, it was Tears for Fears, everybody
2: wants to rule the world. Who oh, is it?
1: That's yeah. an
2: interesting spot, yeah. Um, uh, this I just said at that point, the subtleties out the window, isn't it? Yeah. You know the whole the subtlety of the shaking of the the dust on the moon and raising the footsteps. I thought that was quite nice, artistic. But it's the end of the world. Is like man, how on the nose is this? It's like Holmes <laughs> under the hammer on the nose, which is a reference that nobody
1: who's watched who hasn't watched British daytime TV will understand. But whoever picks their songs on that is a master genius. <laughs> um, but I love that little bit. You know, waking the guy up. Them realizing that you know it's a signal from outer space and then it's coming from the moon, yeah. Um, and then we've
2: got the um, then it the, comes to the military, then comes the military. And I've written a note here that this could be out of the rock, yeah. You know, with that whole we said before in the review of the rock that you, you and I did about how that. It was actually quite respectful to the American military, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the
1: American military were involved in The Rock. The American military were on board with getting involved in this film, but they had to remove all elements of Area 51. Yeah. And they were like, well, that's kind of the key thing in the film, so we can't really lose that. So they had to lose their military involvement. Um, But I still think they... Again, I'm not in the military. I'm not in the US military, but it still plays fairly...
2: To my, my, I, my, you know... Oh, my, no, this was... Is this, a was a, mind. <laughs> this was a stronger piece of recruitment for the American Air Force, I think, as... Um, Top Gun, yeah. for You know, because he's still, like, kicking ass of aliens and, and smoking cigars and walking through the desert going, yeah, you know. That's it. Um, it was, I, I f- love Robert Lozier in this film as well. I love that
1: gruff general. I love the fact that the guy telling him is the dad from the Wonder Years as well, because that was big <laughs> yeah. at the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. I yeah. um, I thought, having said that, of how respectful this was to the the American landing on the moon, uh, and then the the um the SETI program, uh, and then the military, I thought it was um, ridiculous introduction to the uh president mm-hmm. lying in bed. I've, I've written here in his pants, but I don't think that's true. I think he was probably in his joggers. He was in his jammers. Like man, is he? I was thinking, is he being portrayed as a Democrat or Republican here? Because either way, the party didn't come off well, did they? Of whoever <laughs> he was, he was he was always being his, his poll numbers were like below forty percent. They were like you baby-faced idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like actually, you remember in the Rock review, you said that you thought it was actually a really interesting apolitical film in the sense that it wasn't yeah. even you know, and actually. Come to think of it, this one is too because they didn't not um, nail their colours to the mar- um, flagpole or mast. Yeah, pole. yeah,
1: because you could believe him as a Republican or a Democrat, or even yeah, an cause... Independent, if it wasn't for the fact that no
2: Independent ever. <laughs> yeah. No, because Republican. I was trying to figure this out because there was no real clues, but he was an ex military man, which would yeah. say indicate he was aligning towards more Republican. But it's seemed... yeah, because it's like John McCain, isn't it? He was. Yeah, but being such a young president, you didn't. That seems like he would be more aligned to the more democratic. Uh, yeah, anyway. I, I suppose yes. like your Clintons, your uh, I know, you know, yeah, Joe the, Biden
1: kind of broke the rule on that uh, one. <laughs> your Clintons, your Obamas, mumra yeah. right over there. Even in this country, the following year, Tony Blair. Yeah. Where, wherever you stand politically, you know
2: he was a young, fresh-faced. <laughs> Do you do you know how old? Oh, ro- how old? <laughs> how old? Rishi Sunak is crikey. Yeah, no, I know. It's he's younger than you. I think he's. I, based, I think he might even be younger than me. We've achieved nothing in our lives.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, back to the podcast. It's like I've reached that age now <laughs> where the guy who's going to be playing James Bond next is going to be younger than me. Yeah. It's, well, it's weird when you look back at like you know it's like yeah, sure, Sean Connery was younger than me, but dude's considerably older than me in real life at this time. Or well, you know, yeah. obviously not with us anymore, kind of thing. So yeah. it never really plays that as a younger man kind of thing. But but yeah, no, I like that sort of introduction to President Whitmore and his daughter, and I like that she rats him out as the, that way kids do.
2: Yeah, i d- I wrote I wrote a little note here about after. I know it's a bit of a ridiculous introduction for him, really, lying on the bed in his PJs, but I suppose it humanizes him. And actually, um, I said it wasn't until years later, uh, like now, that I realized just how good Pullman is as an actor, actually. Um, You know, having I've taught films like Lost Highway and so forth. And it was because of that that I can see him in this in a completely different light. Like, actually, you you think what
1: he's working with, he's got a great scene later on that we'll talk about.
2: Um, uh, that he's... It, it's just that, like, I think that at that time, this was the only film I'd ever seen him in.
3: Yeah,
2: and I think for I, me as I, well. Like I say, I, possibly yeah. while you were sleeping, but but I've was... seen that after. So we just see it in a different light, and the dialogue in the White House is almost West Wingish. Yeah. I wrote. you know, I mean, I know it's in the White House and it's a president, so well, for... even like the little <laughs> thing where he gives the sport pages to
1: his. Um... Security guy, yeah. Until that coming, and then you see later in the background, it's the two security guys stood. Well, they're not security guys, are they? they were um, secret service, yeah. Uh, not, not had, not to you know denigrate them down to mall cops. <laughs> but you have got
2: the two of them <laughs> yeah, in the background. Over the paper. There. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought I thought this was closer to West Wing than it was Idiocracy in yeah. terms of a portrayal of the White House, put it that way. And yeah. a lot of it came from him. So yeah, I, it helps. I think they reuse sets from
1: The American President as well. So yeah. it helps that you've got that. It feels like the White Again, I've got no idea what the inside of the White House looks like beyond what I've seen on the news or documentaries about it kind of thing. But it feels like the White House, the same the West Wing fell like the White House.
2: But that was, American President was Aaron Sorkin written as well. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, But again, I think this film does a
1: great job. It's a bit like as much as everybody says it's a throwback to the 50s sci-fi movies, it's also a throwback to the 70s disaster movies because it sets yeah. these characters up nicely. It tells you who they are, yeah, what they are, and sort of, you know, makes you care about them so that when you do see one of them die, you are like, you oh.
2: know, Yeah, and actually I wrote a note to say that actually all of the key players are set up in a way that is, it just seems timely. Yeah. We're not overstaying our welcome with them and then we've got what we need and efficiently move on, which is credit to the editing but and the direction as well. Yeah. Um, But there was the, the one that was the oddball in that was the Will Smith character didn't get introduced until quite a ways after anyone else.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> what, being neglectful parents, sleeping in while their kids just running around going in and out.
2: Yeah, house. <laughs> I've got uh, in LA. Gonna go through, if we're going to go through <laughs> chronology, guy, I've got quite a big criticism of the Will Smith character at that point. Yeah, Just so... bearing in mind, bearing in mind, he's a freaking fighter pilot, right? He's supposed to have reactions and the observational skills of a hawk.
1: My and... biggest problem with him is he doesn't shut the bathroom door when he goes in for a
2: pee. Oh, it's like, did come he wash on, man. his hands. Come on, decency! Yeah. I don't know. You don't see him wash his hands, but I like to assume he did. But wasn't it in iRobot when we got the shot of him just having a shower as well? Like, yeah, it might have been. You just love, you just love us watching you in the bathroom, don't you? Doing whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, each to their own kind of thing.
1: But I, I like how we're introduced to um, Jeff Goldblum and Judd Hirsch as his dad, like chess scene, and again yeah. it tells you everything you know he's an eco-conscious person separated from his wife but can't let go kind of thing we get all those little nuggets
2: um, yeah and it's, it's efficient filmmaking and actually it's... when you've got an action film that's pretty appropriate actually yeah. uh, but it's not done down it's it's like show don't tell yeah. have, have these props and these actions and these little lines of dialogue that do the heavy lifting talking of a and great we find out little... he's the kind of asshole who rides his bike through the office <laughs> yeah Talking of um, great introductions, I thought that shot of the satellite hitting the approaching ship yeah, uh, yeah. It was just... But the, scale, the scale of these ships, and like you said, as a cinematic experience, where it just flies by and then just keeps going and going. It and disappears
1: going. into the darkness don't to the point where you almost forget it was even there.
2: I know. And it's in the darkness for about know, a good five or six seconds, which seems like an eternity when you're waiting for something to happen. And then you hear a... Beep. <laughs> you just
1: see a little oh, explosion
2: oh it's so good so good um, and of course we've got that uh, the little X-Files reference yeah. that you spotted like I did so
1: um, I, I love the X-Files too I just never get a chance to watch it and, yeah. but I can understand that just frustration at dealing with a customer and not hearing what you're saying yeah
2: we've all been there if we've been on a phone yeah a phone, worked in retail Any. <laughs> Sadly, I wonder if people are doing exactly that whenever I ring up customer services and they go and, stop talking about the damn X-Files, man. <laughs> <laughs> you hear your internet. I'm like, Yeah, but I need the internet to watch the X-Files again.
1: And then you've got them watching. I mean, it's a risk to have the Day the Earth is still arguably one of the finest science fiction alien movies made. It's always bold to remind people of a classic sci-fi movie in your sci-fi movie, yeah, because it could go either way.
2: Yeah. But yeah. actually, you know, um, the, the shot then that follows, which I think is one of the iconic shots of this film, and why this does deserve to be considered one of the great classic science fiction films of the 90s, if not actually of the last 50 or so years, was the where the city destroyers detach. Yeah, from, I got it, that. And the it's... sources separating. From you the, see the ones in the
1: distance that have already gone,
2: yeah, and it's from the inside. Obviously, it's all black, and it's got like the dots, and it looks almost like a star field. And then it they break off, and they just they, they just float off. And as you said, you've got the the Earth behind, and the ones that have already done so. And I got to say, like it's so cinematic, man. And it's yeah. been twenty seven years since I think I saw that at the cinema, and I I was right back there in the cinema when I saw that yesterday. Yeah. It. I was like, man, I remember this. Like, yes. Because it holds on black for just long enough, almost to the point where you think there's gonna be a little note come up
1: saying real missing or something. Yeah. Yeah. And but yeah, it's just the way they move as well, the way it sort of pops out and then like levels up to be inside on. Um and again, you sort of get the scale of it, but you don't get the actual scale of them yet, those city destroyer kind of things. Um but yeah, it's just Wonderful, wonderful shot.
2: I um, wonder if, um, I think I mentioned before, when you asked me what I was doing on the, the last one we did, and I said I was replaying Mass Effects, and I wonder if, because um, that is a brilliant piece of modern science fiction uh, entertainment too, and there's huge, huge ships and space stations and things in that game, and I wonder if, if it hadn't been for films like this, and maybe even this one in particular, that you just wouldn't have got that kind of epic potential Portrayal in other mass media of these kind of things because you yeah. did it. Emmerich did it so well in this movie, the sense of scale and epicness and and terrifying nature. Yeah, oh the whole build
1: up. They've given you little nuggets of what you need, and then going back to the White House with the briefing room where you've got James Reborn jumping the gun and wanting to just start firing stuff at them. Yeah, um, and I love the way that the military guy because again this was a clip that was in the thing that used to play on Virgin Radio but I love the way where he says they should be entering our atmosphere within the next 25 minutes yeah. it's like the bit earlier where Robert Lozier where he first finds out where he says that a meteorite is like no definitely not and like, how do you know it's like because it's slowing down. yeah but that's a great little bit of line yeah and like I say just the way the character is called Harper according to the badge on his thing but um, yeah just the way he says they should be entering our atmosphere in the next 25 minutes and it's like the genuine fear in his voice yeah, like, what he's think... telling the president. It's like when Bill Pullman gets the phone call, he's like,
2: could you repeat that, please? <laughs> and I'll tell you, other bits that I appreciate so much more now than I did then is, of course, this is Independence Day, so it's about the threat on America, okay? And we get that. It's an American Hollywood movie. It's a disaster movie. It's set in America. It's all the major American cities and well, where Yeah, because we don't even get the stuff we got later on in life where you'd see, like, Big Ben get destroyed or, yeah. You know. The Which Kremlin is, get destroyed or whatever, you know, the Louvre or something. But it was. Um, I just thought it was such a good idea. Now looking it back, right, to have the first one in Iraq. Yeah, um, I mean, I know that there was. It was post first Iraq um, Gulf War, but I thought, looking at it from more mature eyes, the the inference of Iraq being that it was you know Mesopotamia and the cradle of civilization, where we first began as what we are as a human race a yeah. speech, you know civilization i should say um and then we've got this this it's only brief but we've got this huge fireball i've got that the...
1: that fire in the sky that's a gorgeous
2: Mate, it looked biblical image. it looked, honestly it was like Something you can imagine, uh, because, it was, you know, with the uh, kind of um, tribal people that were in the shots and everything, you imagine them looking up and experiencing that 2,000 years ago and gone, Geez, this is the wrath of God here. Uh, It's like the freaking Ark of the Covenant, you know? You You could take that frame, print it off and frame it.
1: It's that good. It's like, you know, there's shots in films that are like that. It's like the end of uh, Last Crusade, then riding off into the sunset. You print that off, pop it in a frame, it'll go up on my wall.
2: Kind of thing. Just Agreed. Gorgeous Agreed. I, looking. I mean, they could have had it anywhere in the world, but it was purposeful and I thought yeah. really mature. And Maybe I'm giving it more credit than it deserves, but I don't think so because they could have picked anywhere in the world and they picked that.
1: Yeah, because again, logically, it would be the one coming over New York or LA or
2: even yeah. Washington. And from my memory, that's what it was. The first shot I remember of seeing the spaceship was that iconic shot of... Um, the I couldn't even remember the bit with the AWAC where you know that where it with the death scene where it goes, Oh, yes. it's clearing, it's clearing, and then it's you see f- the fire into wall, the wall of fire, which again was great, great foreboding. Um, so the way the one guy gets up and tries
1: to like turn away, oh, just yeah, just the flame rips through, yeah, that haunted me as a child. Like, Cause where'd yeah. you go?
2: Yeah, it's like it's almost like the you know, Sarah Connor shot in Judgment yeah. Day you know it's like that is I've just seen someone die it's like <laughs> not just a movie death but like fried in front of me that's not nice Because I mean part of me in my head is like what is the logic
1: of flying into something that's potentially blind but they don't know what they're flying toward do they but even flying towards a wall of flame in the sky
2: yeah and it, it's not like you'd expect it do
1: you? yeah no, I <laughs> know such like, a, it's such a weird thing to be Like, yeah we're flying it there's fire in
2: the sky we're going to fly towards it <laughs> But then directly after that, it's such good editing because you said it before about how we've been established with the key characters, and then it just cross-cuts really quickly between the now established key characters, and we can see their their individual reactions and the individual situations they're in as well. Um, just because just before was... that,
1: I like the bit on the sub as well. Where it's like the radar maybe playing up, but the sonar is completely off the scale, and you just see this big thing of red. Yeah. Going across uh, yeah. the screen, and again, yeah. I think that's
2: a subset from Crimson Tide that they just reused. But it's it's good because not only is it good like movie writing, but it's also builds a, quite a believable digesis of the world. So yeah. it's well, I, like... I'd argue that this film peaks
1: at the end of July second. Yeah, as good yeah, as the yeah, stuff Earth...
2: that comes after is, but you know. The end of the first act. I agree. Yeah. yeah, and that's where I got the majority of my notes from. Was in the first act for the same reason. Um Like I said, that's what really plays like a seventies disaster movie. Yeah, it feels really threatening and and genuine. Actually, when from the point where where Brett Spiner goes, oh, do you want to see the the, the, the freak point? show? Yeah, the freak, the fear, yeah. yeah, the freak show. I think that's that's the point where it turns actually for the the worst because. Firstly, the mystery goes, but also, although the creature effects were amazing, and no no doubt we'll talk about that in a bit, they were just really good, and I I can't remember seeing anything quite like that before. But the the threat of this, like you don't know the alien, you just know it's coming to destroy you. Like you don't know the giant shark, it's just coming to eat your legs. That's it. That's it. It's just, I
1: mean. And then, obviously, you get the shadows of the ships moving and slowly stopping in position. I love everybody going down to the basement and Jeff Goldblum uh, running up the stairs because he's just got to see
2: it. Yeah. I mean, look, we, it, of course, it is probably the most... Second only to the uh, White House being blown up. Yeah. The shot of the spaceship coming over the New York skyline. Is probably the most iconic shot of the film.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just the way it
2: sort of side moves into position as well.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like somewhere in there, there's an alien going back it up slightly.
2: Yeah. Didn't quite. I can never do a three (laughs) point turn. this city destroyed. Damn it. That's the most I want
1: to see him just reversing, going forward, reversing. (laughs) A bit like Austin Powers, but you know, just with a giant (laughs) 15 mile wide (laughs) spaceship.
2: Um, but those those uh, you must know also how they achieve those practical effects um using like liquid with I think it was paint or in the water to create the yeah, yeah billowing effect, like cloud-like effects, and then combining that with the CGI and everything. Just just astonishing visual effects really at the time. Yeah. It's um and then obviously you get
1: Jeff Goldblum realizes what the uh, code cycling out is.
2: Yeah, he is. Um, he's really. actually I really did appreciate his character a lot more on this rewatch than I did before. Yeah, but he, he is absurd, man. Just in terms of like, like nobody would have noticed what he did. <laughs> uh, I suppose if it's hidden in the TV signal, who's
1: looking at it? But again, you, you've got to take leaps of logic. Of course, you
2: have to, especially right? as the film goes on. <laughs> Talking of leaps of logic. Um, how is it how is it that um, these aliens know exactly all of these iconic cultural places because a lot of them they go to you you could kind of go all right, the White House they've probably looked at like you know the seat of power in this place yeah because you wonder what the
1: military strategic thing is of taking out New York and Los Angeles well
2: more particularly it's the um, Empire State Building isn't it yeah So, like, why? Like, why the Empire State Building? (laughs) Perhaps I just don't like the Yankees, so New York had to go. But, like, I don't necessarily mind New York being that there's such a a hub of... Yeah. um, And it is the world, uh, arguably, like, the world financial centre in many respects. But, like, why why directly over the top of the Empire State Building? Like, why? Just because it looks cool. That's it. It's because the aliens were like, damn. We're gonna show those Americans. It's kind of it's either that or down the middle between the two twin
1: towers, isn't it? And again, I'm aware what came later, but that's
2: the only other signal over the Statue of Liberty. But you know, then you've got all that water in between. But then, of course, you've got the is it the third of July when you've got the Statue of Liberty doing the old um, Planet the Apes?
1: Yeah, it's 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 led on its side.
2: Yeah, the Hudson or whatever it is. The
1: Ghostbusters made a walk
2: and yeah. With the uh, you control, it with the Nintendo Entertainment System stick that's it quite well enough. It's it's fine, it's fine. She's got no movable limbs, but
1: they make her walk. It's cool. Um, and th- I do love obviously Will Smith and Vivica A. Fox. I quite like the timing when he the kid tro- when Dylan tries to wake him up, and because the ship's just going overhead, she thinks it's still dark. Yeah, so he still thinks it's early mornings just goes back to sleep but I do yeah. like that shot of Will Smith going out to get the paper
2: but this is the point that this is the first time that Will Smith as a character is introduced and considering he is a joint hero within the film it's 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 not odd because it makes logical sense for like for the plot to have introduced him at this point, but everyone else got introduced before. So yeah,
1: because before that we only see him when he thinks it's an earthquake and she just tells him to go back to sleep because it's not even a point
2: four or whatever it is. Yeah, and um, I just I just said why why is he introduced as such a dummy? Uh, be, be, even she goes, oh, you big goofy, big ear fool yeah. or oh, whatever. Maybe I just added a few extra lines in there, but um,
1: obviously I, I, I just like to think that he's like you know. He's got the weekend off. He's just completely, everything's shut down. All that military sharpness is gone. He's just like, it's the July weekend. I'm looking forward to a barbecue. I you just like what? the way he's looking at the paper and then he looks to the one side and sees the neighbor yeah. packing up and then looks to the other side and then looks at what they look. Here's the helicopter go overhead and follows that.
2: You know what? You've convinced me. You're right. Because like uh the reason we're doing this now is because I'm on my first weekend of half term and I've checked out. So <laughs> I can totally get that. But like, okay. What you cannot explain, especially being a dad, why the hell does he give a five-year-old a bag of firecrackers? Yeah, no, I can't explain that.
1: Oh, you think that's bad? Later on, his mother drives into the city where the spaceship is with her child just to get her paycheck. Yeah. And then she works as well. And then tells her colleague that she's got a bad feeling
2: about it. Yeah, and then she gets really annoyed at the fact that none of the patrons are watching her dance around. (laughs) It's like, look at what they're looking at. I'd be like, it's not worth
1: heading anywhere near that. So I mean, they, they were on the other side of the river. They were fine. You know, the blast probably still would have hit them, but they were fine with getting away. I imagine all their neighbors are laughing. But it's but a bit it, like yeah. later on when it goes up, the amount of cars that seem to be facing the blast. Yeah. It's like um, Harvey Fernstein, he sees the thing coming towards him. He should be seeing it in his rearview mirror if he's trying to get out of the city.
2: Yeah, I suppose so. Um, well, I think in terms of if she's got a bad feeling and she's worried, the thing that she should be worried about is anyone watching her dance and not running away from the city. Yeah. Is that really weird? I do like that idea as though there's just those
1: bar like creature of habits that are just kind of like, no, I'm going to the strip club, but I am going to watch the news. Then. But people who <laughs> go to strip clubs for the buffet. I like Jeff Goldblum telling his boss to get tell his mother to get out of the city and all that. And then it's him going like, it's a countdown,
2: his boss got a countdown. A countdown to what? And then when he does oh, checkmate, he's like, checkmate. It was at that this point in the film that I wrote the note Goldblum and Paul Pullman are the best things in this film. Yeah. For me. Um, they do I just uh, they just cemented themselves at that point. Those little scenes where we quit drop back to them and their little interactions and everything. I, just... I I'd
1: throw Judd Hirsch into that as well, because there's some beautiful scenes. We'll come to some of them later between him and Jeff Goldblum. Like father and son, which just tiny little things—the way they bicker in the car when they're driving to Washington. Yeah, which fair play to them, getting doing that four-mile journey in
2: time. Yeah. It's Again, just... and he was driving. Platform. He was driving about three miles an hour as well, wasn't he? So, yeah, that's it. Um... Uh, we forgot we've had the
1: introduction to um Randy Quaid as well. Oh man, yeah. How in can this we time, so
2: um the re- yeah, so he's so annoying. He's so such he just even at the, I remember I wrote the note and I that even when I was a fourteen year old kid and I should have been going, ha, ha funny guy. I remember thinking, Man, what an idiot. My my problem
1: is is that he's always been cousin Eddie from the National Lampoons Vacation movies. And yeah. I hated Cousin Eddie in that. He just annoyed yeah. me. Um and that kind of plays in this. I mean he gets a redemption later on of sorts. Um And, you know, there's the unfortunate
2: baggage that comes with the fact he is Randy Quaid. (laughs) To be fair, if we're talking about the theatrical cut uh, from what you told me about the other version that no doubt you'll talk about later, I must admit his redemption scene is a good one. Yeah. But up until that point, I'm like, just will some alien just take him away again? (laughs) It's just so cringe. It's the guys in the diner as well. Yeah.
1: It's just, you know, those small town assholes that are just. And
2: they, and they, never, get, when they the. one they, of them's on the news later. Yeah, like, like he, he did sexual stuff to him. <laughs> like, he didn't even confirm that to you, man. <laughs> you said, did they do it? And he walked out. So you just inferred that they did. <laughs> <It's>
1: just... <Yeah. laughs> I, I do like the, you know, leave the cities in an orderly fashion, cut to exactly how you predict it would go. Having lived through the pandemic and seeing people fighting over toilet roll for no good yeah. reason, yeah. other than the fact that somebody saw somebody buying two
2: big packs of it and decided there's going to be a shortage. Oh, man, do you remember, like, two years ago when we had about three millimetres of snow and for four days there wasn't bread on the shelves? Yeah. <laughs> it was like people were going, where am I going to get my carbs, man? Like, Imagine what would happen if we had the city destroyers. I know. That'd be, that'd be the thing now, though.
1: Everybody would be straight to the supermarket. Never mind getting out of the city. Yeah. Like,
2: we've got to stop a bomb. Toilet roll, milk, and bread. I don't know about you, but I'd still be straight down the yellow ticket aisle just to see what discounts were there. <laughs> for any others. What films you have get come out? Toilet roll. Well, you don't get that in supermarkets anymore, d- new DVDs. But... Yeah. I'd be like, I still want my 23p
1: sandwich, please. Just I do this. like that the alien ship arrives, and Randy Quaid's first thing is to get a load of leaflets printed off and then. Like, drop them all over Town Hall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've got strip clubs open and printers. That's it. Not, it's, i better it's... get to my family. It's like, no, no, I need to leaflet the Town Hall. Yeah. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> um, you, you get the
2: asshole kid from 10 Things I Hate About You pop up with the You Don't Want to Die Virgin. Oh, yeah. that's Yeah, that's slightly awkward, isn't it? If, uh, you know, we. With dads, and obviously, I'm a teacher of teenagers. And the last thing I, I've got to say, the last thing I want to know about are teenage relationships. I yeah. just want to teach, and then, you know. Well, yeah, especially because we
1: could still remember what we were
2: like as teenagers. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. <laughs> And it's never like I said that line to a girl or anything like that, but I'm just like, oh, this is so cringy. And it's also... And then she, she when she leaves the car, she kind of looks at him wistfully, doesn't she? And goes, oh. That comes back into play in the extended cut.
1: When they're in the Area 51 bunker at the end, she turns around to a boy and says, I don't want to die a virgin. And then he just holds her hand and says, well, if you do, we'll both die virgins.
2: That's actually quite this,
1: sweet. This nice, sweet thing. That's quite um, sweet. And yeah,
2: you should find a decent guy. <laughs> Not yeah. just... A- not just to go as kind of, world might end. I'm going to try and get some. That's a pity that was cut out, man, because that's actually a nice, sweet moment of this is this is ni- how humans should be to each other yeah. rather than... like
1: <laughs> yeah, Rather than taking advantage of a situation. <laughs>
2: yeah, totally, man.
1: But, so, I'm it is weird because you that. don't really need that initial scene. Oh, yeah, that's right. It, it adds nothing to the story without that later payoff. Um, I true. suppose just because there's not really a lot else for in it. Um, I do like that they have to give the. Uh, they've asked that people don't fire their guns at the spaceship.
2: Yeah, yeah that is <laughs> true. Like, America. No man, the fact that that I I did chuckle at that yesterday, and it, it the fact that they don't show them doing it makes it better. Yeah, it's, you can just imagine a city of people just going, "Come on, man! You got a
1: six shooter magnum here." Can you imagine <laughs> it now? With how gung ho America is now compared to then?
2: Yeah. And the the thing is, that it's funny because the, the phraseology they use is you might trigger an intergalactic war <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with your
1: Colt forty five. But and then we get a little bit of a Will Smith in action. I do like the guy who walks in in the background where he thinks Harry Connick Jr. is proposing to Will Smith, just the way he's like, uh, just backs yeah. off. And but you do have a- that immortal line that Kim Newman put, calls that in his. Um, review of like they're never going to let you fly the space shuttle if you marry a stripper
2: yeah actually there is some typewriting in this film i'll give it that but um whoever decided on the, the world's worst wedding ring yeah is needs uh presumably yeah, yeah. that was just one of the writers had a a, a brain fart moment and went yeah we we'll just stick some it, dolphins it was either that it. or they just found that prop like, that'll save a bit of money we'll just use that one or playing it looks Echo. like
1: the kind of ring you'd pick as a four, as a fourteen year old for your you know yeah
2: high school senior school sweetheart yeah yeah, yeah he, she kind of likes
1: dolphins.
2: I think he'd been playing Echo the Dolphin. Yeah, <laughs> like, I've got like, like, graphics the graphics are so realistic, <laughs> man. I got to put this in my film, man. I do like
1: as well that because obviously we then cut to the strip club because you know it's not an eighties or nineties movie unless you're in a strip club for no good reason. I do like that she had a go at Steve, the military guy, for going into work when he was supposed to be off. And then she goes into work. Yeah.
2: Heading towards danger. I'll reiterate that again. Was it, wasn't it in the, was it, have I just imagined this, or in The Rock? Wasn't, was she a stripper as well? No, they have that sex scene on the roof. Yeah, that's where I got confused. Yeah. Where she sort of
1: dressed like a stripper. Yeah, oh yeah, no, she's well, dressed. She's dressed
2: sexy. I'm not gonna like you know. The, the, yeah, the proper attire for a stripper. That's fine. It's not to say she was a stripper, yeah. but it was a sex scene, and it yeah. wasn't a 90s film, and it was completely ridiculous. It, at least ridiculous. she had clothes covering her. Yeah. You go like five, ten years earlier, that would have been completely different. I'll just remind your podcast listeners that we celebrated the moment of friendship between those two young teenagers. And we were saying how lovely that was. We're not obsessed with strippers in the nineties. Yeah. We treat women with respect and exactly. dignity. And that's the way we like it. That scene
1: has no reason to be there. It's like, other than to introduce us to the character of Tiffany. So we've got somebody we're invested in when it comes to the rooftop party later
2: on. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've written down here I was so happy when those hippies got blown away <laughs> and I always, do
1: like but... how disappointed she is when she has to promise that she won't go even though you know she's going
2: yeah i made this sign man of course I'm going to go <laughs> I put work into this
1: yeah oh man you know I love how easy it must be to get on the roof of a skyscraper in LA
2: yeah
1: well bearing in mind all the security guards are probably left yeah probably. Well, yeah, that's what gets me later on with the first lady when they've taken her to the helicopter. It's like there's two maids in that room. Yeah. It's, like, it's like no, no, no. You have still got to do your job, man. Once the first lady's gone, then you and you've turned down the bed, then you can try and get out of the city.
2: Yeah. No, oh, I know. I sound like Cartman when I said about the hippies getting blown away, but it was so satisfying. They wipe their smug expressions off, their dumb expressions off their faces. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're not here. They're not here for fun. As they're not here to be nice, right? If you see a giant alien spaceship hovering ominously over every major city on the planet. So uh, something strategically being planned here. Yeah. Although not Sydney,
1: because the ship's down by Sydney at the end. The opera house is still intact, so, if I remember rightly. Well, maybe they're fans of opera. Perhaps. Perhaps like, like, where's Neighbours they- filmed? We're going there first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ramsey Street. Where? Perhaps it is. Perhaps that was like, like this. Ramsey Street and Summer Bay are like the two most popular places. <laughs> the Australian was one was just flying around for ages trying to work out where to blast because they couldn't find these fictional planes. <laughs> Where's Mrs. Mangle? <laughs> where is this Erinsborough <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Um I just I know it's I know it's so cliche to say, but Goldblum's Apple laptop is so <laughs> hilariously <laughs> It's hilarious by today's standards, yeah. So, I can't, I don't know which model it was, but it was, um, like I've just found it funny how the phone numbers of, of every American was on that single little disc. <laughs> and it's not to say it probably could for a disc like that, probably could fit every n- name and number on it, but just that you'd carry that around, yeah. So, by like today's, so, and also the fact that this disc could be put in a computer and then you could track anyone on it. Including exactly where they were in the freaking White House. That's well, it, because he only uses one little thing to
1: triangulate a position, but you generally need other satellites to bounce off to be able to at triangulate. least three, I think.
2: Yeah, to triangulate, literally, well, yeah, because it's, tri- it's three triangle. points of a triangle. <laughs> yeah, but like just the fact that like that, like he's got this little disc, he plugs it into presumably like a consumer level laptop, and he's like, I can find, I just find anyone with a number. And I can find where they are. And by today's standards, with like GDPR and everything, I was just screaming like, "Oh man, data protection! Man, You can't do that." Where's the? Where, she didn't accept cookies. <laughs> and obviously,
1: you've got the welcome wagon thing going on at the same time. Which, how do they know what they're actually saying to the aliens? I mean, to us, it might be "Hello, have you come in peace?" kind of thing. But to the aliens, it might be like, "Your mother comes from Mars." Oh, you mean with the flashing lights? The flashing lights,
2: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looked cool. And obviously, you can't have flashing lights without that sound, which is ridiculous, because they're just light. Yeah. Um, And if you can hear that over the helicopter blades, then those are some powerful whooshing lights. But, yeah, like... I've always wondered,
1: like how do you know that you're actually sending a peaceful message
2: to them? You're not like,
1: your mother had sex with a Martian. Well, I suppose... I don't know. I'm I'm gonna give it an allowance and say I, I do like when the thing opens up though and it's like, yeah, we see it, we don't recognize it. It's like of course you don't recognize it. I mean, admittedly we find out later that they're using the same program that an Apple Mac in ninety-five would be.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's probably like it was probably trying to show them how to play mind or <laughs> But um but it just seems know, like that... a weird thing to do. I I get it, but it was probably something like uh some mathematical expression of like how many electrons on a hydrogen atom, or something. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's the
1: same electron. thing as like firing that capsule into space with like music in it and all that stuff. It's like, how do we know that what
2: we find pleasurable music isn't a declaration of war to a alien species? I know, but they also have stuff on there that's just a universal constant, yeah, like, like the speed of light, and <laughs> you know, is is expressed in. But then again, if you don't have ears and you don't have eyes, that's it like yeah. you, you've got to
1: drop in the ultimate insult
2: yeah like they communicate by the taste of something with a giant tongue and the last it's thing to touch it was like somebody who hadn't washed their hands or something it's like oh man we've just ruined that first it's contact. like the old gag about is
1: it in the orville or something like that where they goes to shake an alien's hand it's like that's their genitalia
2: <laughs> yeah hey you know what as a as a um a a prequel to this what they should do is they should show this beautiful planet with all these aliens on it the ones that attacked us are all on it and they're all actually super peaceful and everything and then our voyager space probe just comes crashing in (laughs) and like just wipes out like a a nursery or something (laughs) and then they're like oh man and we our species was dying off and those were our last things and then the next one comes in and they're just about to read it. And then the Voyager 2 comes in, bang! And the last and the thing, it goes, who sent this evil device? And they pick up and it's just got the, the famous gold disc with yeah. the man and the woman and the direct <laughs> route back to our planet. You know the bit where, where Bill Pullman goes, I saw his mind and they, they just planet hop and they just take all the resources. We should edit in that scene. Just into that, I saw his mind and it was us we caused it all along <laughs> we wiped out their entire generation yeah it's um, like children of men for aliens but we caused all the the extinctions I, I do love the little
1: bit with David and his dad in the White House in the um Oval Office let's see if they got one of those pens they give away
2: yeah I felt so awkward, <laughs> like when the president walks in and they're rooting through his office on the, on the the in the Oval Office, they're rooting through his desk. It's,
1: like, it's those nice little moments of character that I really like. Those, yeah, see if they've got those pens they give away. Yeah. Um, I like the whole thing about you know, you're talking about line of sight. whole sort of thing. Hey, see if you've got those pens that they give away. Dad,
0: what? You just don't
1: have a choice.
0: Of that, can I? Okay, I don't have time for this.
3: Two minutes, Connie, President, Mr. President.
0: Go. Julius Levinson, uh, David is I my I told you wouldn't listen. No, you have to tell him Are Just
3: David, tell him.
0: Uh, I know why we have satellite disruption. All right, go ahead. Okay, uh, let's say that you wanted to uh, coordinate with spaceships on different sides of the Earth. Couldn't send a direct signal, right? You're talking about line of sight.
1: Yeah, that's right, exactly. The curve of the Earth prevents it. You'd need satellites to relay that signal in order to reach each ship.
0: Well, I found a signal hidden inside our own satellite system. Excuse me, Mr. Preston. They're starting.
1: They're using our own satellites against us. And The clock is ticking. The, the friction between President Whitmore and David, and the yeah. Connie thing in the middle, like a non-sexual love triangle.
2: Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, that was true. And uh, actually, it was really like continued right, right up to the end, wasn't it? Yeah. Where Portman goes, "Good job." that's a really good
1: job, you know. It's like, well, even that little cutting bit he does later on where it's like, uh, you figured out part of their technology, yeah. maybe you can help them unlock some more, and it's like, let's hope you're as smart as, or let's see if you're as smart as we all hope you are.
2: Yeah, and the, that's what I meant about Bill Pullman, like I, I, I saw it in a completely different light. Those, that delivery of that line, and he's got like a kind of side-eye to him as well, as he says it, let's hope you're as smart as we all hope you are, you dork. Because originally... They wanted Kevin Spacey for that, and he was meant to be... I
1: imagine he was meant to be more like the James Reborn character.
2: Yeah. I can, he was yeah. meant
1: to be a slimy president. Um, but Kevin Spacey was like, no, I want this much, and priced himself out of it. Well, yeah. So I, I imagine they then separated out and gave at the James Reborn part so he could be the uh, horrible little slimy Bag that he plays so well in films and then made brought in Bill Pullman and played it more towards his style of warm and friendly. Because I don't think it would have worked with a
2: Kevin Spacey-esque American president. No, it would no Pullman was great in this. Yeah. He was great. He was he was so well cast for it and he delivered it so brilliantly. And it's like I said, it's it's improved with age, though for me at least. Maybe it was my eyes looking back rather than. Anything, but he... Uh, yeah, and sadly, Rayburn Re- didn't get a Hawaiian shirt for this one. and the he didn't. No. <laughs> he, he didn't get to a point where he had to throw him off the roof. Yeah. <laughs> he did get fired,
3: though.
1: <laughs> it, um... But yeah, so you, you've got that. Obviously, the penny drops. But there's a countdown going on. They've got like less than 30 minutes to get to Air Force One. Yeah. Um, and I like that whole bit. I like the packing up, all that stuff. It really ups the tension right up to the point where Jeff Goldblum sits down, opens his laptop, sees the counter still going down, then just goes, Time's up. Um, I love the shot of it opening up and people not knowing whether they're like, you know, aliens are going to come out or they're going to get sucked up into the ship or what. It's so beautiful. I do love that line, just the way they're all mesmerized. It's so beautiful or it's so pretty. Yeah. And then the reaction when the blast comes down. It's like, Yeah. yeah. Um good night, sweet hippie. Cause I'd like to think that if I was one of the ones down on the ground, I wouldn't be looking up at it, I'd be getting a head start on the leg in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, I've seen enough X Files to know be be cautious.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. but then we get let's face it, what we were sold the film on, what we came for, which is the destruction.
2: Yeah. And And it's so well done. You called it so well. It is uh, not just a callback to the 50s sci-fi, the day the earth stood still, that kind of thing, but the 70s disaster movie. Yeah, Well,
1: yeah, because they put in the stuff they couldn't do in the 50s sci-fi movies. Yeah. 50s sci-fi movies, if they did that sort of thing, you'd have the bit before and the bit after. You'd never actually see the destruction. Or if you did, it was a really crudely
2: done, bare minimum kind of job. And that is one of the reasons why I think that this this should be, despite me not loving loving this movie. I'm not going to go on and on about. It. I might never watch it again, but I do think that this deserves its place in film history. Yeah, um, more so than it's given credit for now, for exactly the reason you just said. Yeah, it's.
1: Um, have you ever watched the? Ma- There's a really good making of where they show you how they did it. I might even mention it in that magazine. I forgot to have a, another flick through it but it's basically the city upright and then they just blast flame up. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And the camera's at the top, or the yeah. flame's at the top and the camera's at the bottom, whichever way around they did it, and it's blast through the model. Yeah. I love that there's always one guy still doing some filing in the office. Like, yeah. big yeah, alien invasion like,
3: going yeah, on, but...
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, like, we, you know, classically now, if this was spun off into, like, a franchise, he would have his own TV show or something. <laughs> it's... Yeah. yeah. Jeff from accounts. Well, he was trying to get that check out to that stripper, wasn't he? I like the idea that he
1: was like stealing from the company. Yeah. And the fourth of July weekend and the alien invasion was the distraction he finally needed to put the money back, get all the (laughs) files back in order. Yeah. You do oh, a, a Richard a, Pryor, Superman 3, skimming off the top
2: kind of thing. What a, He was like, what a lucky turn of events. These aliens just... <laughs> I can get all this paperwork, and no one's going to know. I'm
1: scot-free. Because <laughs> I really didn't want to spend the rest of my life in prison.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, no, Fireball. Old... <laughs> um,
1: I love how the flames move through. Yeah. I mean, when you think of like all these people, you—I mean—you've seen the faces of them, there's families and all that stuff. And as a fam, as a father, you kind of look at stuff like that. You're like, Jesus! Imagine being in that position where you just yeah. got to grab your kids and run as fast as you can. Yeah, or and hope that your family can make up, keep up with you, kind of thing.
2: And I'd argue easily in the top five most iconic shots because it was in all the traders and everything. Yeah, but stupidest, <laughs> stupid. You know what's coming. How the flip did that dog survive? Yeah, and they're in the little, literally. There's a a, a, a thousand, a ten thousand degree fireball that's literally playing ping pong with with taxi caps down the middle of Fifth Avenue, and they or wherever they are. And she jumps into a side door, and she's just fine. Well, I say
1: because in the novelization, I can't remember what it says specifically about that, but it goes to great pains of saying like anybody that thought diving in the water would save them it didn't because they were boiled alive in the water. Yeah. Um, And it says about, you know, people who went in bunkers, the flames just sucked the oxygen out, so they just suffocated. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's a better death or not. So to be hiding in a small maintenance cupboard with the door still open. (laughs) Yeah. But but as you said, there's a few But You know, you, you just go with it. There's not much tunnel left when she comes out. But it's like what was above the tunnel? I assume it was no, the river. But... Yeah,
2: and actually, where she comes out because she does crawl through a little gap. But yeah, if you're behind there's nothing there. It's yeah, just, it's, just it's like it's still palm trees stood up. And yeah. Uh, oh how we are pernickety, and yeah. uh, how easy it is to make a mega budget blockbuster film, isn't it? If only we were on set pointing these exactly,
1: exactly. It's like Emory. you know nobody wants to see the dog die, but at the same time I like that was totally ridiculous.
2: No man, I could live and
1: also been. pulled nobody else into that cupboard with you. Yeah. It's like I like to think that the people that got the president to Air Force One, not just the passengers, but it was like pilots, get in Air Force One as well. It's like yeah. all of you on the ground, get in Air Force. Unless you need to be on the ground to get us off, get in Air Force One. It's like take as yeah. many people as we can with us. Yeah. And even if what well, like because it's got to be an awful thing for that guy to at the bottom of the stairs to be like,
2: Yeah, cheers for that. Off you go. <laughs> yeah. The one guy left is the one who's pulling the, the braking blocks out from under <laughs> wheels or something.
1: <laughs> just, just the guy at the bottom of the stairs going,
2: Why are they taking a cable repair guy with them? like, Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. And seriously. his dad. And his dad. And the, I know that they don't, the president doesn't even like it. That's it. He's like, Boy, I'm. I said good morning to him earlier and he said yeah you too I thought we were pals <laughs> he gave me the paper <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, and then well, obviously those... that this is where July 2nd ends
2: yeah well of course all those uh, famous White House security guards you were talking about earlier because they're not as important as the secret service and they'd all been laid off anyway That's it. it's... <laughs> it's
1: the maids in the hotel with the first lady
3: yeah
1: it's like, it's it's nobody thinks of the little people <laughs> but I do temporary. like where we open on July third with Brandy yeah. Quay pulling over so his kid can be sick. But then when he looks in the distance, you've got all the Winnebagos like parked up, and then you just got a row of headlights like the end yeah. of Field of Dreams. Just
2: I was wondering—is I might have just overread it, but was there any significance with the kid being sick? Like, he was if... ill because it's something again that plays in because he gets sicker and sicker, and
1: then when they arrive at Area Fifty One. They have to pull one of the doctors away from the alien to look after um Randy Quaid's kid
2: because he's got an illness. So they just but it didn't do any anything for the plot, did it? It's not like, no, it's, it's, like it... if it was like his the alien would have had some DNA. Yes, yeah,
1: that's it. The alien blood would have saved his life. It, it was just
2: a weird little character piece that they put yeah. in. You know, he's got a sick kid. It was fine I know by the end, anyway. I know it sounds weird. Yeah, right, exactly. Ridiculous. I know it sounds weird, but you know the girl had said before about the whole, you don't want to die a virgin line and everything. Yeah, I was like, is he pregnant? <laughs> I couldn't quite think because, like, the kids and they were trying to, you know, cop off with each other and all. And then he was feeling sick and I couldn't remember him feeling sick before. And I'm like, What's, what? What? Uh, uh? <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> if it's to play into the
1: how deadbeat Randy Quaid is that he's going out and getting drunk, but he's got a sick kid. I do love that the whole family
2: is willing to abandon him and leave him behind.
1: It's only because yeah. he got let out of jail.
2: And they, were, yeah, and like the older son was like, "Oh man, they released you! <laughs> I thought we were free of this doofus Yeah, there's uh, like the youngest son is like, you know,
1: what about dad? Yeah, because the eldest kid doesn't even call him dad, does he? Until later on in the film. He calls him Russell.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because
1: so, at first I thought they were like stepkids. Not that it makes a difference. But no, but in tri- that would be quite nice if it was a stepfather relationship.
2: Yeah, I re- no, I thought exactly the same. And even as a kid, I, I thought it was weird that he called him Russell. Yeah, because it's just not like you normally you'd have a line of "I'm your dad," and he'd go "Not to me, you're not," and then that would have just explained it. But yeah, this was just all it was heavily implied, which sometimes doesn't isn't the best for a movie. Sometimes yeah. you need a little bit of exposition.
1: Yeah, I quite like that you could play it either way in your own mind kind of thing. It's it's fine. But given that they make time for like you know, the daughter potentially getting laid or the youngest son having an illness that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, what I do like, though, is the Bill Pullman scene on the plane afterwards. His delivery of the line about, you know, we waited, how many more could we have saved if we hadn't waited? Just yeah. the whole regrets of it.
2: Yeah, and he, that's what I meant about like the writing about what the politics of being president and his performance. He, he really... At the time, I think I saw this. I just saw him as a guy who was just like, yeah, he was just there to progress the plot forward as actually the hero was Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. But, of course, he was just in his actions or inactions. And then yeah. tr- the, the bit, bit later with the nuclear bomb and everything, how he really, really really struggles with the choice.
1: Yeah, he almost says through his teeth, doesn't he? You know? Yeah. Well he has boy. to be
2: prompted twice, doesn't he? Mr. Yeah. President, you know, and he's being a guy of, of who's experienced war firsthand and and um you know kill people through bombing runs and things in his, you know, he's he you feel like you feel like he's a military man who has a conscience. Yeah.
1: It's the way it's shot as well because it's close up on his face, but he's looking on side profile, him looking down with her stood slightly out of focus in the background. It reminded me of Have you actually seen the American President? Yeah, the the bit in that where he's talk where they have they've got the opportunity to take out whatever that target is, and they're like, "We'll do it at night; the building will be empty." And the president's weighing up on well, you know, that's fine, but there's that one guy who's going to be the cleaner who's going to be working in there overnight, who's just working there because he's got to support his family. Yeah. And that, even taking that one life weighs on him, and that really came across in this scene as well just yeah. the weight of the decision. Because you've got the other thing if you tell people to evacuate the city, you cause that panic, and you end up killing as many people anyway, just through,
2: yeah. And that's that's what I am saying. This is Sorkin like writing, yeah, you know, like. Not, not totally Aaron Sorkin level, but it's, it is on, it is there, and it's yeah. elevated by Bill Pullman being able to pull off that performance, and that's yeah. why I'm so glad that he was cast. So yeah, because I think, again, if you'd gone evil president, then
1: obviously you wouldn't have had that scene at all. It would have been a shrugged off kind of thing, or if you have gone a bit more gung-ho kind of president, it wouldn't have played as well, I don't think. If you'd gone like a Arnie-type muscle man action
2: hero coming yeah. kind to of president. But what um, is great about what what Pullman did is, does is of course later he gets in a plane because he says I belong in the sky. Yeah. So he has the, a, a wonderful balance between I have to wear the weight of the, the decisions I make on my shoulders for potentially millions of lives and irradiate the city, a major city like Houston or I think it is Houston that they fire yeah. it over in and and then there's that and then but also right i'm leader i need to get in this plane and i need to do what i can what i've been trained to do as a professional pilot as well i thought that was a good balance he was also like my wife's just died i don't want to raise this kid by myself so i'm gonna get Um, in a plane uh, and fingers crossed (laughs) you know me dude i'm not one for saccharine sweet like people being saved at the final minute and that's one of the things I really one of the things I really don't like about Marvel, how there's no jeopardy whatsoever. Yeah. But even I was going, is there any way that she could just be like they pull her out at the end and go, it's all right, we got a blood transfusion. That's it. <laughs> like something because it was just brutal how the poor girl the poor girl she was hugging her mom and then the dad came in and that was it. She
1: yeah, I mean, we'll come to that later. There's a wonderfully delivered line from a child actor. but um And then we, we swing into the gung-ho military briefing. Yeah. With the, uh, you know, just a little anxious to get up there and whoopee cheese ass and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Harry Connick Jr. knobbing around in the briefing. Um, although I do love, and I often use uh, Harry Connick Jr. when they're out on the um thing getting ready going, like, let's kick the tires and light the fires. Yeah. I often say that before I head out in my van at work. <laughs> it makes me feel cool. Yeah. It's just one of those lines, isn't it? You know, where you take completely out of context lines, like, you know, take off and you the sight from orbit. Do you jump in your van with a cigar, waiting for the fat lady to sing as well? I'm still waiting for the fat lady to sing. <laughs> and then, obviously, you get the night's attack. Yeah. Which... I, I kind of feel they should have started retreating quicker.
2: Oh yeah, it seems like a
1: senseless waste of life. I, I'd be kind of like, oh, yeah, I ain't waiting for the order. We're going. Yeah. Um, I do like that whole thing of again. I mean, it comes into play a bit later on, but just <laughs> the father, it Sucks to be night three who stick fails, so he can't pull up, which mm. is mowing through all those ships coming out, and then finding out they've got shields as well, and just that hopeless. Yeah. But and then we get the awesome canyon chase and the base attack that doesn't seem to hit anything other than a bit of ground blowing up. Yeah, no planes blow up or anything, but just that
2: whole base gets. Ta- we find out that whole base gets taken out. Yeah, with those just like hundreds of them pouring out of the sky like bees. Yeah, because uh, I
1: wonder because where the ship moves from one big city to another big city, we find out that you know off screen it's taken out Philadelphia and Atlanta and some other things. It's kind of like, what do they just pass over the small towns? Do the little ships come out and just nu- take out a town like that? Or
2: yeah, I do just figure that, they'll
1: get back to those eventually.
2: Well, I figured like you know you destroy the major city hubs or wherever you know the water treatment plant or the electricity generating plant, whatever. Death and disease will just take its course, won't it? <laughs> you know you don't need to go around and like zap every last ant on the planet to have taken it over. You That's just it. you just Destroy modern humans' ability to—I mean, we 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 proved that with when it snowed. Yeah, that was it. There's, that's the alien. Uh, by the way, this is the news right now. This is you heard it here first. The low-budget version of Independence Day was—they made it snow about three millimeters in Gloucester about <laughs> three two years ago, and we nearly ran out of bread. And that was it. That was the end of society.
1: That's it. That's it. Everybody went feral at the like Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Um, Will Smith gets some fun bits in this the uh, oh no you do not shoot that green shit at me and all that yeah. stuff
2: um, and you know telling Jimmy not to do something stupid as Jimmy does something stupid it, it was do you want to say it or do I about the, the iconic line he says which the uh, welcome to earth yeah there it is. Gotta I, I say do it. like that, that you've you you got say some you kind say of armour on you, just... you, you can't just say the words you've got to
1: say it like he says it yeah, but you've got to get worked up to it. you got to do the whole, you know, look at you, ship all banged up. Yeah, go on, man. I Let's love his frustration at the parachute that's holding him back. Yeah.
2: This is the way it opens up. Way. It just
1: punches him. It's just like, work on the That's Ah! That's way! Right! Right! Get up! Get up!
0: That's what you get! <laughs> look at you! Ship all banged up! Who's the man?! Huh? Who's the man? Wait till I get another plane. I'm letting all your friends out right beside you.
3: Where you at, huh? Huh?
0: Where you at? Welcome to Earth. <sighs> that's what I call a close
1: encounter. And then he turns his back on it. Like, yeah. I would be like, yeah, I've knocked him out. I'm getting as far away from him as possible because he's clearly wearing some kind of armour, but I've got
2: powerful Will Smith fists. Yeah. And he seriously he knocks him out like, <laughs> for hours. like Because, you know, after the bit where he's dragged him through and there's, I read a nice funny bit of trivia about, you know, he goes, man, what is that smell? Yeah. Did he know that that was ad-libbed? Yes, that and I could have been at a barbecue. Yeah.
1: Which I love that line. Mm-hmm. That's the line I put on my uh, where I do those worksheets. I always put a quote from the film, and
2: that was the quote I put on it. <laughs> I could so, have been at a barbecue. Straight yeah. kicks it. Yeah. So apparently, it really did stink that whole place because yeah. it was uh, a dry lake bed, and it, you got the brine shrimp, which uh, sea monkeys. If you didn't know that, uh, for anyone listening, mm-hmm. it just loads of brine shrimp, and um, they uh, when it goes to the dry period. They just all die on the on this this dried up lake bed, and it just reeks. Yeah, because uh, it looks like as when I first saw it as
1: a sixteen year old, it looks like he's walking through snow, yeah. not, not deep snow, but it's just the way the sand is.
2: Yeah,
1: oh, that's weird. But you do then that his parachute landing looks awfully painful. It looks like he oh, broke man. both his legs. He came down like a
2: sack of bricks. It's like tuck and roll, man. Tuck and roll. Because it clearly the shot before he actually lands, before they've got a stunt um a stunt actor doing it, is just like one of those plastic toys we used to have. Yeah. So rigid. And then he comes down like that. Bang. <laughs> like, dude, your legs are th- your knees gone. That's it, your knees are now your ankles.
1: <clears throat> but um yeah, I, I do like all that. other then I love the whole thing about, um, I like Jasmine finds the truck keys in the visor because that's what everybody did. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, my voice is going. That's uh, right, I was getting too, uh, <clears throat> too worked <laughs> up over the Will Smith welcome to Earthline.
1: I do like the talk on Air Force One about going, you,
2: I like the little bit before about you know,
1: his little John Lennon bit, you know, all, all you need is love. Oh yeah and then he goes shot in the back.
2: Very sad. Shot in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, yeah. look oh, yeah. his... Um he was that guy that was shot in the back. That's where I know him from. <laughs> um but yeah, I'm gonna say, yeah, fair play, Jasmine, a Will Smith's girlfriend, she is pretty heroic with a her tr- truck truck yeah. rescue, isn't it? She? She's not we were saying about our criticism of um in uh, the rock about uh, the girlfriend character in that just being so redundant just being there to to do go against what she's told to do it just seems so patronizing yeah but will, will Smith's girlfriend in this Jasmine she really has agency she yeah. really does she goes no I'm gonna go strip no <laughs> I'm gonna go rest <laughs> I'm gonna endanger my child
3: <laughs> yeah
2: and of course she's She's got that, that funny line where she, the first lady, she goes, come over here, meet the first lady. And She goes, I didn't think you rec- recognised me. And she goes, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but I voted for the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got like, and then she does that wry smile just as the first lady now, later we learn, is literally bleeding to death. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, oh man, That's you could it. have said something nice. Um, but yeah, I like the whole bit about
1: nuking them and they're having that conversation on Air Force One. I love that Jeff Goldblum wits in and they start having the shouting match and then Bill Pullman looks and sees Judd Hirsch walking towards him, and he just goes oh god yeah." yeah. <laughs> and then he has his big Air Force um, Area 51 rant. Right? They knew about it years ago and all that stuff and then everybody's rolling their eyes at it and then he cut to James
2: Redhorn and he goes that's not technically accurate and Jeff Goldblum with perfect delivery. What? Well, which part? <laughs> yeah, I, I've got to say I reckon J- Redhorn really got lucky with that line yeah because i'm pretty certain that was in all the trailers yeah i think it was so for not entirely accurate and because because it leaves the mystery open for what's there right and him being more much more of a second secondary actor in this film he to have been have such an important line for the trailers uh, i think he, he did well there like i say it's that and it's the guy earlier who says you know They'll be entering our atmosphere in the
1: next 25 minutes. Yeah. That one line he got, and it's just everywhere in the promotional
2: stuff. Um,
1: I wonder his delivery
2: if, of that is great as well. Incidentally, I wonder if um, if you were like a supporting actor or something, a supporting artist or something like that, and you got your daily rate, and then your likeness was used in marketing material all over the world. I wonder if you get anything extra. I don't know. Imagine you just got your your diem and you're like, you're like fifty dollars,
1: and then you get like a key promotional line in the all the trailers and that.
2: Like literally, yours, your, your, the words you say were the tagline of the film. It. It's like, oh man, Are I do tagline, love key Quickly off on
1: taglines, I do love the two for this film. You know, the the question of whether or not we're alone in the universe is about to be answered. But then underneath Independence Day, it's got don't make any plans for August. Yeah.
2: That's a great tagline. Yeah, that was great marketing. Um, I would always thought though, it always stuck in the back of my throat a bit about ID four. Yeah, I just thought that was cheesy. It just like it just cheapened it. Independence Day was great. Yeah, I think it was one of those accidental things that just weirdly stuck. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what well, like with the edge of tomorrow kind of thing with live die repeat. They yeah, just, that works better. People are responding to it. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's change the title of the film for the third time. Yeah. I
1: do love the shot of Will Smith dragging it and then you see all the Winnebagos and everything coming towards him. Oh yeah, that is great. That really is great. Roland Emmerich knows where
2: to put a camera. Yeah, man. Um That's, that was good. That was really lovely cinematography. That super wide lens. Uh really long shot where, you know, yeah, it's good. And it's edited really nicely as well.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and then, obviously, we get to Area 51. We meet Adam Baldwin. Um, I quite the like that Area 51 looks a bit boring. Obviously, yeah. when you get down and you've got the clean room and all that stuff, it gets a bit more sci fi But I do quite like, on the face of it, it just looks like a boring army base.
3: Yeah,
1: um, I do love the shot of him walking through. It all looks very cool. Um, and breadstone uh, is so weird in this. It? I didn't know... It, even though... I. I didn't know he was Data when I first saw it.
3: Yeah.
1: I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around that guy and Data being the same guy. Yeah. Um, I do love when um, Bill Pullman says, where do you get funding for all this? And Judd Hirsch is like, what, you don't really think they spent $250,000 on a hammer?
2: Yeah. $50,000 on a toilet seat. Yeah, right. Um, Well, of course, we, we kind of mentioned before about the the creature effects of the alien. And um, where we really see the alien up close is with the um, autopsy. Is the wrong word because they're obviously trying to get you know see a living thing. But for one of a better phrase, the alien autopsy. Um, It's I thought it's just so well done. Actually, it's not my kind of film. To be honest with you, I prefer like I was an X Files guy with the Greys and all that kind of stuff, rather than the. Or to be honest with you, Alien. Just the Alien. Yeah. The Xenomorph, right? That's that that would be this thing was a little bit too uh how can I put it? Too much uh, too much for to it removed the believability from it. It turned fully into action film as opposed to science fiction film at that point. Yeah, because I suppose you've got the two alien looks, haven't you? you got the one you've got the battlesuit and then you've got <laughs> the thing
1: inside the battle suit. Um I, I like the ones in the tank.
2: They look quite cool. I quite like they've got damage yeah. to their faces and, and missing and, legs and stuff because yeah the right where they were in the crash but it was an, an, but although it's not an alien design for me like it's not not what i would go to as it were um i i i still appreciate it as being amazing production design yeah because it really was it well, looked- the, the puppet effect work on that alien Yeah, and like where they open it up and the jump scare of it opening up. Yeah, because I was
1: watching that in bed when Jack was small and he came and got in our bed and I assumed he'd gone to sleep next to me so I carried on watching it and obviously when that thing flips open, the head that flips open, he just started screaming. I didn't realise he was still awake but it scared the crap out of him
2: as a child. (laughs) Small child. It is definitely a great jump scare. And then the the look of the inside is like the inside of a, a, a xenomorph egg yeah it's really it is really well done yeah because i think with the design of the inside
1: alien they were kind of trying to go for that classic area 51 looking alien but tweaking it modernizing yeah. it a bit so it's sort of tied into that you know the old alien autopsy tape type thing
2: and and when the eyes slide open
1: yeah oh yeah i love cool. the way it
2: side slides and the, the metallic look of like so you can see what it's seeing with by the reflection in the eye it's very good uh, I love how good the guard on the gate is. He's like, sorry,
1: sorry, Will Smith, you can't come in. He's like, oh, yeah. that clearance. He's like here's my clearance. He's like, yeah, all right, go, go,
2: let them all in. Let them all in. Did you see that? <laughs> it's like, you were getting court-martialed, sir. Yeah. This is the most secure military base in the world. All you are got to do is turn up with a prop from Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. just, they just let you in. You That's
1: just... what we've been going wrong for years. You didn't turn up with a really
2: convincing-looking prop. Yeah. Um,
1: I do like, you touched on it, you, in between the him arriving with the alien, the autopsy, for want of a better word. Yeah. With First Lady asked Jasmine what she does. And she says she's a dancer. And her instant thing is, ah, ballet.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So high Brian why would you make that jump? Yeah, man. There's so many different kinds of dancing. But also statistically, you're probably way more likely to be a stripper than a ballet dancer.
1: <laughs> or even like a ballroom dancer or something. You know, just a like backing a, dancer. For, backing dancer. Yeah. the hot, like you know, one of Madonna's backing dancers. She lived in LA. It's
2: plausible. No, I'm just a, a robotic dancer down on the embankment.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, i mean paint my up. work. Paint, my, paint <laughs> myself silver. Just get about. You may have seen <laughs> my running man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean. I do like that, alien. It reminded me a bit of Spider-Man 2, when Doc Ock's arms
2: take out everybody in the operating room. Yeah, and it is good. It's, it's really good tension, you know, when the fingers start doing that tweaking kind of, and they go, hey, the hands are moving, and then it's all over. It's right after he says it doesn't look alive, does it? Yeah. It's like, um, dude, famous last words. But wouldn't it be, obviously, I couldn't help feel some sympathy for the alien, though, being inside of that thing, having all those slabs of, like, raw chicken over your face all day long. Yeah. So minging. Yeah, it's a weird idea, like, you know, because
1: obviously when you get to the ship later, you've got the ones all queuing up to use the toilet. Yeah. And then you've got the one in the control room that isn't in the suit. It's like, are they too, uh, I guess, is it organic armor suit over him, because obviously it's got to have some kind of organic thing for when Will Smith punches it, he knocks him out for three hours. Yeah, quite right. It's like, yeah,
2: it must have some kind of
1: something going on. But I, I guess... mean, it's a good job he only slapped Chris Rock, because you can imagine if he punched him.
2: Jeez. <laughs> welcome. He should have gone, instead of, uh, take my wife's name out your yeah. wife, he should have gone, well, welcome to Earth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> welcome. back to the Kodak Theatre. Yeah. Um, when I then watched it with Jack again, he wanted to watch it properly when he was a bit older. And I was like, right, the jump scare bit's coming up where the head pops open. Yeah. I was like, so we've got that. Completely forgetting about when Dr. Oaken gets slammed up against the glass. Yeah. yeah. So that set him up a second time when he was a few years older and decided he
2: watched <laughs>
1: Thanks, Dan. Anything I should know for the next one? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you next year. That's talking down.
2: Obviously, we didn't watch Alien afterwards. <laughs> But it is it is good it is a good scene when he's got the um yeah. tendrils around his neck and he's having his vocal cords manipulated to talk or whatever. But it is utterly ridiculous how nobody watching it realizes it's not him yeah. talking. He's like talking- I, I find it
1: quite ridiculous that there's no security present during that autopsy. Yeah. At least one guy with a gun. Yeah. It's it's, but yeah, it is a great scene. Um, I do love talking, that glass bulletproof.
2: No, sir. And that's, he doesn't wait for the order. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> just well, I'm going to work on the implication that you want me to blast this alien away now because <laughs> the glass isn't bulletproof, right? Subtext going on here. I'm <laughs> reading you want me to s- just cap it. I love the idea and be like, well, what the hell are you doing, guys? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just thought we could smash it. <laughs> yeah. I just... Uh, I- I just, it was just an incidental comment. Is this glass bulletproof? I didn't mean anything by it. Um, right. Because you've not seen the sequel, I don't know how much you know about the sequel. Dr. Oaken, what's his fate? What's his fate? I thought he died because his skin's all grey and everything. No, no, he's back in the sequel.
1: He is was he? in a coma. Because there's oh. this quite nice bit where Adam Baldwin's Major Mitchell is clearly upset that Dr. Oaken's died. Yeah, and I quite liked the idea that there was a relationship between them. Yeah, it's never said, it's just the way he reacts to it. Obviously, it's more you know, he's a guy you respected, kind of thing you'd become friends with. But I always felt there was was Adam Baldwin's character's got a wedding ring on as well, which I noticed. Um, obviously, there's no reference ever made to his wife or anything like that. At no point is he like the cities that were destroyed. My wife was in one, anybody? No, um. Because the way he guns that alien down afterwards just puts two more bullets in him to make sure he's dead. Yeah. It feels very personal. Um as it is, it turns out that Dr. Oaken was in a relationship with a man and it's the guy that um the other scientist with the beard that's usually hanging around with him, or the goatee. Right. That's there when they launch the alien ship at the end. That's what comes into play in the sequel. But yeah, he's just in a coma for twenty years after that.
2: Twenty years?
1: Yeah. Because Independence Day 2 is 20 years later. It's like, that dude's definitely dead. So he just...
2: He, how, how does he... He just, he just manages... wakes up when the aliens start approaching again. Like, coincidentally? Or was it because he's had some psychic link? It's a psychic link,
1: because Bill right. Pullman continues to have a psychic link and visions. Alright. After the
2: alien got in his head. Um is I do like... Pullman. Is Bill Pullman in the sequel? Yeah. Is he any good? Uh, they play him more as
1: like he's a bit more of like the Randy Quaid type character. Oh no! Well. So <laughs> you know he's it. he's the broken, having these visions, you know, mentally ill kind of guy. And then he's spoilers for Independence Day too. He's the guy who sacrifices himself. Right. So he is he is Randy Quaid too. Basically, yeah, just you know a bit less comedic, drunk kind of Randy Quaid too. Um, I like that they decide to go nuclear. I like that David gets drunk. I have real issue with her taking the bottle of bourbon off him and putting it in the fridge. Who puts bourbon in the fridge?
2: Oh, yeah, man.
1: What kind I... of monster does that?
2: Yeah, I was trying to... Yeah. I mean, the thing was, he'd like there was no ice cubes, right? So yeah. maybe she was like, we can't have ice, but you can have a slightly chilled But No, that's just, that's just wrong. Um... But they do have that great
1: exchange where he talks about her leaving him and her going, you know, wanting to be a part of it and when she says, haven't you ever wanted to be part of something special? He just replies with, I was part of something special. Yeah. That's a great exchange and then when she, as she's walking away, she says you know, for what it's worth, I never stopped loving you and he just turns to her and says, it wasn't enough though, was it?
3: Yeah.
2: Again, that's a lovely little bit. It doesn't hang around too long, that scene. It tells you everything you need to know about their relationship. really good, efficient writing and the way it was acted was really believable as well. Um, And you invest so much in their relationship. Yeah, Which is why,
1: again, spoilers for the sequel, it really annoys me that they kill her off between films. She gets killed off between films, and Will Smith gets killed off between films. Right. Just because they look forward to getting back. Yeah, he did um, Suicide Squad instead. Right. Um, And with her, I guess, not to be horrible, but I'm guessing they looked at it and was like, she's too old now, we need to get somebody younger in to be a new love interest for Jeff Goldblum.
2: Yeah, it was the love interest. I can't remember a name there. No, the um, that's the thing is, like I said at the start, um, how I'd admittedly probably been a bit harsh on this film on my third watching of it when I was about 14 or 15 and then watching it now with more mature eyes and being a lot more... Um, uh, sub, film savvy and writing savvy and, you, know, you know, being able to appreciate the good elements in this film, like those, those scenes of dialogue. But yeah, I mean, I, in some respects, I kind of wish you could just forget all the action stuff, all the, as iconic as it is, like the welcome to worth and all that stuff, get rid of all that and just have the stuff that was going on in those great conversations would have been such an interesting edit.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's part of me as I've got older that would have preferred like the Jack Ryan version of this, where it's smart people in rooms figuring stuff out. Yeah, why They I mean. just fire a missile off instead of launching planes. As much as I love all that stuff as well, I'd love the idea of like you know, just them hunkered down in a bunker. You
2: know, yeah, like what, like you know, war games, last
1: stand kind of thing.
2: Seeing this stuff on the screen happening, um, and you, you know, like how it was cross cutting between what they saw on the radar of the missile. Yeah. You know, that and then it's cross cutting to what we saw it actually happening in real time. Actually, the tension could have just been what do you see on the, the dots on the screen? Yeah. But it's... I mean, that's a completely different kind of film, and that's not Roland Emmerich. But no, um, that's, that's the again, the low budget version that could work really well. Yeah. But in many respects, that's what I'm saying is this film is a lot better than I had given it credit yeah. for because it still has those bits that tie it together, that the DNA is still there. Um, the good writing, the good acting in many respects, uh, yeah. which is a new, it, it's funny for really in many
1: respects. That's it, um, considering the kind of film it is. And we get some premature celebrating, like we need visual confirmation. It's like, yeah, we got them. It's like, no, no, we still need the visual confirmation,
2: but I, they're all celebrating in the background with the nuke, having the nuke, yeah, and everything. Yeah, and I was, th- I was really feeling for those guys in that, um, armored personnel carrier, <laughs> like they, you could just see, like. Are we we're gonna watch a nuke going off? <laughs> um is it has anyone tested this thing for like like being nuke proof? Well you uh, think how close the actual uh stealth bomber
1: is yeah. when it launches it. There's no way it got out of that radiation no zone. Way. No way. I'm uh, sure it
2: did a quick bang to the left, but still. Yeah. Um but the whole lead up to it is really well, really tense as well. Like we've said before, where he's mulling over yeah, shall yeah. I, shall I shall I not? And it's he's the told very he's, last minute and that Yeah, he's asked twice, like, do we go? Do we go? We gotta go now. So yes, but right, you know, fire it off. It's just the way through gritted teeth is like, deploy.
1: <laughs> it's like he doesn't you get the feeling he doesn't believe it's gonna work. Yeah, but he's, but just he's got like to try he, said,
2: it. he said, What other choice is that? And it's true. It's like there's 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 no other choice apart from when we find out there is another choice. Yeah. Weird. Will Smith steals a helicopter.
1: Which I, I looked the distance up. It's about 750 miles he goes in that
2: helicopter to get to El Toro Yeah, from Nevada. And um, point, point of order, I, I maybe I wasn't paying attention enough at the point in the film. How on earth does he find her, like, instantly? Well, he told her to go to El Toro
1: for the 4th of July weekend. Right. So I guess he just hoped she'd still be there. And he just decided on a whim to go and see if she was... If she had been there, if she'd survived... Well, he knew she wasn't there, because obviously he flew off. So Altura's a base? Yeah. Right, okay. So he went went on a whim that she'd survived and then
2: still thought to go there looking for him. There is that quite funny line, isn't it, where that guy got that gun at him? Yeah. get out of the helicopter. Just tell him I hit you. Yeah, just you're not going to be the guy who shoots me, are you?
1: Lucky for him... He finds the first lady because he'd have got court-martialed otherwise.
2: Yeah, I don't. I One don't for the
1: fact they needed a pilot.
2: Yeah, I, I suppose after like aliens have invaded, little things like being court-martialed kind of lose all meaning.
1: Yeah, again, I suppose they were desperate for pilots, but I mean they got Randy Quay to fly a fighter jet, so well, well, we'll come to that in a bit as well. <laughs> um. So yeah, so we get that, he's found the First Lady, he brings them back, the Doctor explains that perhaps if they'd been able to get to the First Lady sooner, they could have saved her, which makes me think, you know, maybe if Steve and Jasmine had spent a little less time smooching in front of the helicopter and yeah. actually just got back in and got people back, wouldn't that be the thing? It's like, if we'd have just got there like one smooch earlier to her, we could have saved her.
2: But it was, we all know it was that cold, hard line by Jasmine that actually killed her. Yeah. I voted for the other guy. <laughs> You don't deserve to live.
1: Um, and then, obviously, we get the death of the First Lady, which I think is
2: nicely played by Bill Pullman,
1: more so um, when the little girl turns around and says, is mommy
2: sleeping now? Oh, man, he really pulls off his acting chops on this one. This was one of those top three scenes in terms of how good an actor he is within this film. Yeah. And it's not even a case of working with the material he's got, because actually the writing's really good. Yeah. It's, it's, he's delivered. He was giving the writing the respect it deserved in a dumb Hollywood kick ass alien movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's it, it. This is one of those films. If they'd cast it wrong, it would have, this film is instantly like raised up because of the cast they got in it. Yeah. Like say, even down to the girl who's um, Mae Whitman, who's in like Scott Pilgrim and. Arrested Development and the like when she was older, but isn't in the sequel. They recast her for the sequel, which really annoys me. It's like, there's already a perfectly fine actress out there who could play this part but because she wasn't blonde. Yeah. They uh, recast her for the sequel. Um, and then obviously this is where July 3rd ends and we go into July 4th mm-hmm. with a drunk David uh, doing his uh, trash the place logic. Um again you get a nice scene between him
2: and um Judd Hirsch. Don't, don't want don't want you to catch a cold. What did you say?
1: I love how fast he sobers up.
2: Yeah. Like what what did you say? <laughs> uh, I don't want you to catch a cold. No, uh, I I, I like to think about what about faith? Well <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm... it's those little
1: interplays between those two. Um because I've always liked Judd Hirsch from. I used to watch Taxi when I was younger, and he was the main guy in Taxi. Yeah, not that I realized it first time I watched the film because, in my mind, Taxi was like a couple of years ago and he looks you know young old, whereas in this, he looks old old, even though he's not <laughs> as old as he actually was at the time, I don't think, but because he's in the sequel as well. Um, but yeah, and then you know, David comes
2: up with his plan. Well that's what he Which, said is his dad, you you came up with it's your plan, your idea, Dad. And all he said was just something that was completely unrelated to beating the aliens.
1: It's it's War of the Worlds, isn't it? But it's it's a nineties exactly. War of the
2: Worlds. Exactly. Twentieth century equivalent to the War of the Worlds, but obviously um ridiculous. Like I've written it's like hacking the Pentagon with a Game Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, because he interfaces
1: with an alien computer. I still have trouble getting my laptop to recognize my printer.
2: Yeah. And it's there. And they're built to work with each <laughs> other. The, uh-huh.
1: But I, I do like that James Rebhorn, who's been like all like, yeah, let's let's nuke them. Let's move to Deathcom 4. He's like, we didn't say we're gonna go to DeathCon 4. He's like, no, he we said we're going to DeathCon 4. I heard the words come out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they come up with this place, like, no, no, this is stupid. It's like, what? Why? You were the guy who just wanted to find nukes off 10 seconds ago it's like I, I do like when he's explained it all and i love the way when jeff
2: goldblum says ask any questions just the way will smith gives him the side eye yeah. and i got you listen the probably my favorite line interaction at least in this film is between those two when they're in this aging alien roswell spaceship right do you really think you can fly this thing do you think you can do all that bullshit you just said <laughs>
1: It's just the way they both sort of like, you know, under the weight of what they realize and what they've just (laughs) committed themselves to doing. (laughs) They both play that little bit of self doubt, lovely. Um, I like where they fire James Rebhorn. That's a nice little bit.
2: Um, And then he's got to sit down and do the prayers. And he's not Jewish, (laughs) but nobody's perfect. Nobody's
1: perfect. (laughs) Um, we, We cut to the Morse code going out around the world, the very English pilots.
2: Yeah. But the they Americans, were, they've got a platform. Well, it's about bloody time. I was looking because they were um they were like somewhere in the Middle East or something, weren't yeah. they? But and they had F-16s behind them. And I'm like, wouldn't they like have to- I know it was such a British point of order, but I'm like, wouldn't they have like tornadoes or something? Harriers. Yeah. Like, but no, they gotta have F-16s, so whatever. I'm guessing that's where the military staying involved in the film would have paid off.
3: Yeah. Because I think
1: there's little things I know somebody who was in the military that's like I've talked to you before. It was like you know the way the one guy in the background is holding his gun with the finger on the trigger and the barrel pointing at the bloke stood next to him. Yeah, it was like that's breaking two rules straight away. Of yeah, but it's just the British novel. It's is that whole idea that America saves the world, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, fair enough. They pay for the movie; they can save the world.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then obviously you get the call for pilots, and Russell Case puts his name forward.
1: I do like that when he says that on a personal note, having been abducted by aliens, everybody
2: rolls their eyes. Like, really? (laughs) Yeah, but he is so cringy. I know. Like, everywhere he goes, it's cringe city.
1: Because, I mean, we'll we'll get to the alternate ending that's in the extended cut in a minute when when we've got to the end of this. Um, I like that... Stephen Jasmine are married by Ron Howard's dad. That's always a nice thing if you can get married by anybody. If you can get Ron Howard's dad, get Ron Howard's dad.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, president's big speech, which again I just want to put in the team America. You know,
2: America. F yeah. Oh man, <laughs> as parried as it or like endlessly quoted as it's been, it's still really good. Have you seen the YouTube video
1: of um, if President Whitmore gave his speech now? No, And then it's like, hey, they break it down. It's like, you know, mankind completely ignoring womankind. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the 4th of July is no longer an American holiday. President Whitmore is not patriotic. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's a really funny thing about how you know, different factions online would go after different elements of the speech. <laughs> this is where we're at now. <laughs> um, um, I mean, but that speech is great. I mean, yeah. Again, it's full flag waving, even down to the guy doing the massive, like, you know, holding back tears salute.
0: Good morning. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation, we're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day.
1: But it's perfectly delivered. I love the little bit at the beginning where he does the good morning and then the
2: mic makes the noise and then he does it again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's that nice little human element of it. But it's funny enough, in such a contrived film, it feels really real. Yeah. Because of exactly little bits like that. Like, you know, like me- messing it up and getting it right. And that's what happens in reality. It's it's little moments like that that build
1: the world and give it enough character that you're willing to go along with the leaps in logic. Yeah. That Will
2: Smith can fly a ship that was clearly designed for aliens with tentacles and eight Yeah, and it, it has, like... I know that they've had it for however many years, but there's enough space inside to fit perfectly two human beings. Yeah. Um, it's... But that um that again, I keep going back to these shot- these effect shots of the spaceships and stuff, and it's it reminds me of you know where you got like the Star Trek the motion picture where you got loads of shots that they're flying through Vijay and yeah, um in more what was I thinking in more modern films um oh, what was the Tom Cruise one where the with the great big alien spaceship in there,
1: oh uh, is that oblivion? Oblivion, thank
2: you. Oblivion, yeah. yeah. And actually, it's quite epic when he goes up and he flies into the ship. And this is very similar where they enter the mothership. And it's actually the the amazing sense of scale. Uh, That's exactly the note I've got written down. That it does such a good job of giving
1: you the scale of it. Like I say, from the, I always joke it's the aliens coming for the toilet, but it's not. It's the invasion party waiting to board. Yeah, but just and you see the big ships flying in the
2: background. Yeah. And as it approaches, there's that little slit in it and you go, oh, so this spaceship's going to fly in and it's going to be about the size of a car driving into a garage. And it's not, it's tiny going into what was a little slit in the side of this giant machine. Yeah, It is really, it is really well done. And the lighting in it, the lighting effects is really great. That eerie bluish glow. Yeah. Um, Uh,
1: Going back slightly, I love, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking. The look on the kid that plays Dylan's face when he's saying goodbye to Will Smith. Yeah. Again, I think as a father, that plays completely differently. Just, you know, the look on his face, how sad he is to say goodbye to him, the prospect that he may not see him again kind of thing. It yeah, weighs well, so much on him. Although
2: I, I will come back to it. I hate the way that that's, he gets the last line of the film. Yeah. It's such a rubbish line. Yeah. Yeah. it's <laughs> it, uh, yeah. <laughs> the end of the movie, man. It's, but yeah. And
1: obviously we intercut this with the aerial battle on the ground. President Whitmore's up there flying a ship as well. Um, I like that this time they have the good sense to only fire one missile to make sure it's going to penetrate the thing. I do hate that they then waste their missiles on the little ships. Yeah. Again, I've never been in the heat of an aerial battle, but you know, you've got four missiles and you're just wasting them on on the little ones. Usually, machine guns on those. And then you get the President Whitmore's doesn't go in. We get our Death Star moment. it Didn't go in. It impacted on the surface. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then you know, Eagle Two says he's on it and gets taken out straight away. And then you get the hero moment for Russell Case. He's packing. And I love Bill Pullman's delivery of the line. Where they say about covering him you're like gentlemen, let's play the road.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and that's where they fire up those Vulcan cannons. That's such a like, you know, action
1: movie yeah. tingles on the back of the neck kind of line. It's like.
2: And, um, uh... Then the line comes, which just about redeems him as a character. Because it is, its is, you, you can't, I don't care how un-American you are, you can't help but go yee when he does yes. this. <laughs> Hello, boys, I'm back. <laughs> I,
1: I just love his thing where the missiles jammed. Yeah. I just love that little moment. And he looks at the pictures of his kids and just, I really like the way Randy Quaid says, tell my children, I love them very much. Yeah. And then it cuts to his eldest son, be like, "Dad," and that's the first time he calls him Dad. Yeah, because in yeah. the alternate cut, he doesn't get picked to be a pilot. They won't have him because he's drunk. So he flies in in his biplane with a missile duct tape to it. Right. But they decided that they, for one, it looks ridiculous. The biplane trying to fly upwards like that. Yeah. Because you got kind of, like the force of that laser would have just taken it out even before it had fired. Yeah. Um, but they decided that it took. His sacrifice away from him because he went in on a suicide mission. Yeah. Whereas him going in with the possibility that he may survive and come home, and then choosing in that moment to make the sacrifice, added more weight to his redemption as a character.
2: I think they, I think they went with the right choice for the yeah. theatrical cut.
1: Like I say, the whole thing is the it's worth watching. The look of the biplane going up. He's like, no, that would just fall back on itself. The engine had cut out. But yeah, no, they definitely went for the right thing. And, you know, it works. They take the ship out. They get the word out across the world. But we're still not done because Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith are still up there. I, I love their little banter between them. You know, you and I are going to have to work on our communication. Yeah. The whole oops thing. Yeah. And then firing off the missile, which I know some people have critiqued that it takes them about 90 seconds to get out. It's like, yeah, it's movie time.
2: Yeah, right, man. I mean, is that if you you're still nitpicking at this point of the film uh, and you haven't left, then just sit back and enjoy it. What what is left.
1: Uh, and it's just,
2: you know, I you know Fat Lady Elvis has left the building, all that stuff. I love the little space bickering. and stop side seat driving. I'll tell you what, though, it really is an excellent explosion. Yeah. It reminded me of um because you did see eventually you got round to seeing Stargate, right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen Stargate several times.
2: Stargate's right. amazing. So, we, you know, the end where the Ra character gets blown up. And yeah. That, and that's a really satisfying. This is similar to that. It just felt like, say, so it was a really, really epic space explosion and really yeah. felt like the power of a nuclear explosion in space. Yeah,
1: no, it's, it's <laughs> to the point where they're clearly covered in radiation, but they've got no problem hugging their family when they go back.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite, quite right.
1: Yeah, and then you get the little desert swagger as they walk away from their uh, damned alien craft and, and all that. And then, yeah. Didn't I promise you fireworks?
2: Happy 4th of July. Just end on that. Didn't I I promise you fireworks? Right? Just not then have the kid go, yeah, (laughs) that's the last line of this.
1: Yeah, no, it should have ended on that. And then the debris flying over. Yeah. This film's wonderful, dumb fun. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it's just, it's what you want in a summer blockbuster. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I love like your Inceptions and your Interstellars and all that stuff as well. You're, you're thinking man's blockbusters. But I also like these popcorn, just go along for the ride kind of thing.
2: Well, also, it's, it's we said it was a time capsule of its era, but also the, the very notion of a mega-budget blockbuster film, a one-and-done. Not just yeah. the one and duns that we've talked about before, like the game and The Rock and whatever, but this being a mega-budget blockbuster, a tentpole film. One that they'd been marketing for God knows how long beforehand. One that had tied like the whole synergy with the X Files from the same studio and the whole like cultural zeitgeist of aliens and that. It was massive and it was designed to be a one and done. Yeah. That is unusual. Well, yeah, because you going back to those 70s disaster movies,
1: you look at the ones that got sequels, they don't work. It's like Beyond the Poseidon Adventure doesn't work. Because yeah. it was a one in a kind. It's a bit like you can make the same argument with the Die Hard films to a point. It's like that's Look, such a unique one in a kind series um, moment to happen. Do
2: you it's know super... another great example of that from the nineties? Speed. Yeah. Just you know, like just as it was, it's great. And then of course they tried to capture the genie in the bottle again. Couldn't yeah. You know? And and I've I've said before on this part of the as a bad film, I quite enjoy
1: Speed too. It completely disregards everything that went before. The Annie character is completely different. But just on a base level, I quite enjoy that as a stupid thing.
0: Pilot, identify yourself. It's me, Russell Case, sir. I told you I wouldn't let you down. Just keep those guys off for a few more seconds, will ya? Okay, Echo Niner, Echo Seven. Take flanking positions. I want you to look after this guy, okay? All right, boys. Let's give Mr. Case some cover. Gentlemen, let's plow the road. Draw them off, and it'll be all yours. Uh-oh,
3: look out! through.
0: I've got tow. Eagle 20, box two. Eagle 20, box two. It's jammed. a favor tell my children i love them very much all right you alien assholes in the words of my dinner right then dad what's he doing come on come on baby come on Good luck, buddy. <laughs> oh, boys! I'm back!
1: Obviously, we did get a sequel to Independence Day 20 years later. We did also get a side call, which was the Dirt Mags BBC Radio Independence Day UK, which was... Um, Nikki Campbell and Patrick Moore. Yes, that Patrick Moore. No way. Um, the gamesmaster himself. Deal, dealing with it from the uh, London point of view. And you had Colin Baker, who was the sixth Doctor as a pilot. Toya Wilcox as a pilot. Um, and it was just basically the UK version of what was going on at the same time.
2: Was Patrick Moore giving cheat codes for Echo the Dolphin?
1: Yeah, yeah. That sort yeah. of thing. quote War of the Worlds, that sort of... um, It's a really, really good little audio movie. Um I don't know if it's available on YouTube, because I know it's not available to buy anywhere anymore, because oh, right. the marketing license all ran out. But, um, I mean, anybody who listened to enough of these knows I'm a big fan of the Dirt Mags radio stuff anyway. He did the Superman and Batman ones as well in the 90s. Um, but, yeah, it's just a really nice tie-in thing. The sequel to the film itself is just... Um, I went to see that in the cinema with Andy, and I came out of it going... I've never hated a film, but enjoyed it so much in all of my life. <laughs> but then it was one of those ones that the more I thought about it, the more I hated it. Because, like I say, it kills off those... It brings back Vivica Ray Fox just to kill her off. Yeah. And it's like... It's pointless. I mean, it amazes me that they waited 20 years. Talk yeah. about striking while the iron's hot. Yeah. And it's basically a retread of the first one. If you were going to do a sequel, I would have thought the logical thing to do would have been like a ground assault with the surviving aliens. There had to be aliens still alive in those damn ships.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like I've never seen it. I don't actually know the plot, but it seemed, didn't it come out shortly after uh, Battleships?
1: Uh, yeah, it was a couple of years later.
2: So I was kind of like. It was this, exactly. This... So yeah, 2016. I think Battleship was 2013. Yeah. So it, it, to me, it looks so similar. Yeah. um it was years after there was even a spark of interest in seeing the last one um it reminds me a bit of I know this has been since but like the second Avatar film been so long after and the fans of the first one have probably moved on and like I mean, how big how many people were in the th- the cinema screening when you went to see it I honestly can't remember. To be honest,
1: most of that I remember more coming out afterwards and talking to Andy about it. And then like I say, it was one of those films that the more you thought about it, the more those little nitpicks build up. Whereas like this one, you can like the more you think about it, you can start picking things, but it doesn't take away from
2: enjoyment. If no, anyway, honestly, it makes you
1: enjoy it even a little bit more, to be kind of, no, honest. Yeah, that was the, so
2: ridiculous, wasn't it? But the the exercise of you saying, Let's do this special and me go, all right, I'll go back and re-watch this movie so many years later, has made me appreciate it and enjoy it more. Yeah. Way more. But, like, that seems to be the antithesis for what you're explaining for this sequel. It's basically, we've rebuilt, we've taken that alien
1: technology, and we've got, like, stuff out in space as well, and we're just waiting for them to come back. And they talk a little bit about, like, you know, the ground war that happened... Test piloting, because Will Smith's character is supposed to have died. Test pilot in an alien-infused um, jet kind of thing, where they've taken that technology and put it in, and it's just the same stuff
2: again. And it's did they explain anything further about? I mean, but I guess a point of a sequel is to give you a little bit more background on stuff, not just to have the same stuff repeated. So, did they explain anything more about? There's the first be- thing that they think is the aliens coming back. They shoot
1: down is actually good aliens coming to tell us that they're coming back and to tell us how we can defeat them. Good but, aliens, the same but, species. No, different species, another planet that they'd like destroyed. Oh right, it's like so this we- big white orb thing. Um, it's just, again, I can't remember the finer details, but it ends on a cliffhanger of. Basically them going, yeah, we're going to take the fight out into space and head towards them instead. So I'm guessing the third one would have been more like a Star Wars-y type thing. Have you got the numbers on how it did? Uh, I haven't. I can easily look them up. Um, I mean, the fact we haven't had a third one kind of tells you, I mean, it's got low ratings, critically.
2: The, um, last, time, the last time I remember seeing this movie... Was kind of like at the checkout of the co op or Sainsbury's or something like that. You know, a soon... film's
1: bad when I own the first one on
2: Blu ray, but I won't buy the second one.
1: Yeah. Just to complete the set. I won't even do it for that. I saw it for like three quid and I was still like, yeah.
2: No, it, it was seriously bargain basement price when I it, saw it. It had
1: an estimated budget of 165 million and worldwide, according to IMDb, it grossed 681 and $920. So in the age of Avengers and that starting to hit billion dollar, the Marvel movies get into that high end of billion dollars, that's...
2: But also that was the production budget and you normally do- double it for marketing, for marketing. And So basically. yeah, it would have potentially broken even. Just, yeah. Um, um,
1: and I mean, if nothing else, it kicked off the whole Nigel Farage's Brexit thing was our Independence Day. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing that's tied to it, which really soured that film as well.
3: Yeah.
1: If it wasn't for the fact it was a bad
2: film, it would still have that hanging over it as well. But-, but there was there was a time when science fiction was the, the peak of um, cinema, both highbrow and mass market. Yeah. So, you know, like, I guess you could argue Alien, then moving to Aliens, and then uh, 2001 um and uh you know star wars and so forth and yeah sci-fi catered for so many different levels of um you know the kind of audiences to to reach yeah and this just seems to have marked such one of the one of the markers of such a low point of sci-fi that when you've got more high sci-fi like ad, ad astria and yeah. so forth they just don't work because nobody goes and sees them because you're just so soiled by your battleship and your Uh, independence day resurgence whatever it was
1: I think if they banished they should have waited for Will Smith to come back but they obviously wanted to tie him for the 20 years later thing yeah Um, so I think that counted against it for me out of all the people they didn't bring back the worst one was they didn't bring back David Arnold to do the score Yeah, David Arnold's score for this film is fantastic yeah it really is yeah it's like he yeah, had the one-two whammy of Stargate this, and then he went on to get the Bond gig. Yeah, it's like why they didn't bring him back. I don't know whether he wasn't available or he just didn't want to do it or repeat things he'd done already. But the, it's really lacking and really noticeable in the second film. Who did this? The sorry, I'm treating you like IMDb right now, um, but I'm not as sure it wasn't a particularly outstanding score. So it didn't really. Usually, I have to be like, oh, I really like that piece of music. I wonder who did it.
2: Yeah. No, Um, because David Arnold's name came up on the credits like really soon into the credits, and I was like, "Oh right, of course, it was a David Arnold score." That makes uh, Harold Harold Plosser, Plosser,
1: uh, Thomas Wanker. Genuinely, that is the name there for original music. There we go. Say no more. But it's like, why wouldn't you bring that key element back? That'd be like doing Indiana Jones without John Williams. Yeah or doing Star Wars without John Williams. I know they've started doing Star Wars without John Williams, and it is working, but, you know, that traditional Star Wars element. But it's just, se- it was just a second. film we didn't need. By that point, it was 20 years later. Who was that film aimed at, even yeah. now?
2: Especially as we've moved into the age of Marvel. That's the kind of film that is almost built for a bargain bin. Yes. Yeah. And you go, how how much did they spend on it? 160 on production. It feels like it should have been like when you had From
1: Dust Till Dawn and then the straight to V DVD From Dust Till Dawn yeah. 2 and Dust Till Dawn 3. So it feels
2: like I just like a hundred and hundred and sixty million. Do you yeah. remember when we were kids and the most expensive film ever, Waterworld, came out yeah. and they were like, This film has now cost over a hundred million. Yeah. And everyone was like, Oh my god, a hundred million. Or even a couple of years later, Titanic. Yeah, it's like this exceeded like
1: 160 million or whatever it was. Yeah, and that's and everybody was writing it off straight away. It's but St- extraordinary numbers. It's just, yeah, I mean, a bit like we talked about earlier before we started recording, this film exists perfectly as a one and done, and then you can have your expanded tie in novels, graphic novels. Yeah. Animated series, anything like that, stuff
2: that you can pick and
1: choose whether it's in your head. Canon video, or not. Ga-
2: video game, whatever. That's what this. This is what this world was. This film was built for. Yeah. The other thing is, no sequel was
1: ever going to live up to what you had in your head. No, it's part of the problem that anything that's come after the original Star Wars trilogy has had. Yeah, well, you had uh, like twenty years of imagining what happened before the events of Star Wars, so the prequels also, are never
2: going to live up to it. I'm going to be the on- same as what came after. It's for the same reason. Not that these characters in my mind are as iconic as your Indiana Joneses or your Han Solos or your Luke Skywalker's or your Princess Layers or whatever. Um, they still are the the characters that are intrinsically important to that film. Yeah. So for them to be, even if they were like 20 years older, it's a bit like having Laura Dern and... and Jeff Goldblum and back in the 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 last Jurassic Park film, yeah, it just seems so cynical and just so yeah. pointless. Like for someone like me or you, you just go, oh, "This is trying to pander to my kind of nostalgic point." And I've, there's more to me of an audience than just going, "Oh, there's something I remember." And then for a new audience, it's completely irrelevant. So why it's bother? Like, why with these old people? Yeah, like that. That made me so sad.
1: Because initially I was like, oh, they're bringing them back. That'll be cool. And then it was like, the more I sort of thought about it and the more stuff started to come out, I was like, oh, no, no, I don't know if I want
2: this, actually. Yeah. Do you remember, like, my my colleague and I always joke about this, but do you remember in the trailer for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Indiana Jones is stood up above, like, some Mayan ruin and he's got the line, he goes, you're a teacher? And he goes, yeah. Part-ti- part-time. And then in the in the... In the actual film, it's the same line, but they It's it, so flat. It. And he goes, Hard time. <laughs>
1: that's one of the things that's all because that really sold me on the film. That line in the trailer, yeah, it's like, Oh, there's there's like little bits, There's like you know, the bit where he swings and then he falls back. And he's like, Damn, I thought that was closer. Those little indie moments of like, you know, yeah. this guy's not really as good as he is, but then he gets that cool line of like, you know, You're a teacher, it's like part time. But yeah, when it was in the film, I was so disappointed because I was so looking forward to that bit. Man, to the point was... now where you could probably justifiably sue them for not having that bit, yeah. <laughs> but it was, like, I went to see it based purely on that line, and it's just so flat.
3: That, that's but one that... thing
1: I don't generally question Spielberg,
2: but it's like, why did you choose that one? But that perfectly, I wonder if he's trolling us or doing some kind of like meta commentary on cinema right now because that whole flat delivery of cookie-cutter, like um cut out character, like, oh, there's your nostalgic look. Look, he stood up there on top of a rock with his whip in his hat, and he's going to say a line, and it's crap. Yeah. Hard time. And then that, to me, is exactly, not that I've seen Independence Day resurgence, is that it? Yeah. yeah. I never will. I've got no interest in seeing it because of that. Like, it just seems to be just such a poor facsimile, just trying to cash in.
1: It is. It adds nothing. If anything, it just makes you sad where some of the characters went.
2: So I'm just glad to stay with the original. But actually, I enjoy more now than the last time I saw it when I was a teenager.
1: Like I say, I've only seen that film once at the cinema. I've got no interest in going back to it. I've got no interest in knowing it. As far as I'm concerned, it does not exist. I've got the novelization because I was supposed to review it for a magazine, but I just didn't get time to read it. Unfortunately, they just like let me off. Uh, but you know but I'm, what? I'm quite I glad think,
2: I didn't waste time reading it. I think, I totally think your approach, and I hope the people listening to this podcast can take the same approach, is the most healthy approach you can get.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, instead of endlessly arguing about whether you like the sequels to Star oh, Wars, oh, yeah, if there are people who like the sequel, because
1: you know, like, I'm sure there
2: are fans of Independence Day Resurgence and more power but, to them but your approach is like that you're respectful of people and you just go yeah fine your opinion makes no difference to my opinion right maybe it complements it maybe i can maybe i can learn something from you but if not i don't i'm not bothered but for me i'm just going to treat star wars as being i don't know say rogue one a new hope and the empire strikes back and then all the others i'll just pretend don't exist and i'm happy in that yeah. world. and then that'll be it or you go, you're crazy, man, the the prequels were the best ones. And then you say, fine, all right, we'll live with that then. Well, I say, I've never liked that
1: mentality of, you know, it ruined the thing I love. It's like, it didn't. The thing you love is still there. Yeah. It's like, and you, also, can you know, just pick you, and
2: choose. You, we are different people to what we were when we, as I've said about three or four times in this, this podcast, I'm a different person now to what I was when I was 14. Yeah. And because of that, I can appreciate this film that we've just reviewed in so much in a so much different light, particularly with the acting and the nuance of the, the those moments that we see through adult eyes. Yeah. So, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's well, that's fine. it. It's like you view things differently. It's like
1: I view horror films differently to how I did as a teen. A bloodthirsty teen was like, "Yeah, cut them up, Freddy." I'm like, "Well, oh, that's somebody's kid." Yeah. And you just, especially as my kids get older, and I'm seeing more of a teenager than. You Know, even though in those movies the teenagers are like 38 years old, but <laughs> the Zuko, but but awesome. Uh, yeah, I think is there any sort of anything else you want to touch on? With I think we've pretty much covered it all, but is there any final thoughts or anything?
2: No, not really. I was just like, as, as I always do before we come on the podcast, I have a little scroll through IMDb trivia and just see if there's anything else that stuck out to me. And I know that, you know, not, not necessarily the most airtight. Uh, thing for for uh, accuracy, but I I didn't know, uh, and I, but I was glad to read that it got the Oscar for best visual effects in '97. Yeah, because um, and... yeah, I
1: don't think there's a lot of CGI in it. I think there there is elements of CGI in it, just because of.
2: But it was you know, still, you, you'd actually, have to, but they did a lot of stuff practically. In our mag, because uh, just for your readers, uh, your readers, just for your yeah. listeners, <laughs> so just to reiterate, because we keep referring to this thing. Both Stuart and I realised that we had the official Independence Day, official movie souvenir magazine for £3. Um, you remember they used to do like, that? There's an advert for a Twister one in that as well. Yeah. I, like, I never saw a Twister one. That we, we both bought when this movie came out, and I've kept it ever since, and he's kept it ever since. And um, there was just, incidentally, there was a bit in here that um, at the start, it starts like a, a kind of tabloid-style magazine, actually. Yeah. And there was there's in America, it's actually sadly stopped printing now. Um, but there was uh there was <laughs> this tabloid style silly newspaper I used to get when I when I go to the States to see my dad or whatever, we'd go to Walmart and they would always be next to the checkouts. It was called the Weekly World News. And if you get chance, guys, you've never heard about this, just Google it because it's dead funny. Although sadly it stopped stopped printing, and I think in about 2007 they just stopped doing it because no one was buying it. But it's like um, a tabloid style uh, magazine newspaper where 90% of the stuff are, are made up in it. Really like X-Files, the kind of thing Fox Mulder would have read and taking it dead seriously. Like it's always about a bat boy in there or something like that, right? It's just brilliant. Um, but this, this, in the first few pages of this mag that we're looking at, both Stuart and I right now, but you guys can't see sadly. Um, it just looks like one of these kind of tabloid-style things with loads of excellent shots from the from the um, from the film presented like a newspaper, and it's got what? Oh, look, Stuart, look to page twenty-nine. It's got that amazing shot of the fire in the sky um, coming over the some kind of like desert scene. Yeah, but, um, I'll, I'll stick some photos on the. Um... I want to website under where the episode's yeah. posted so people can but see some of the stuff the, from the magazine. The bit why, why I was kind of referencing this was um, with regards to the Oscar for the best visual effects, on page, and maybe Stu, you could do a little scan of this or something, on page 43, it talks about, uh, it's called Digital Damage, CG Scramble Pays Off Big for ID4. And it says in there that they created their own effects house to achieve a load of these effects, which I thought was really fascinating. But yeah, no. I'll put all that
1: in the um. Like I said, I'm currently updating how they get put onto the website. I miss those movie souvenir magazines. I guess in the age of the internet, they're not needed
2: anymore. But no, but they might not be needed. But they were just a nice thing to have. We've had this for how many years? Right, twenty something years, twenty three years or something like this. Right, and you and I just when we've just pulled it out of our. Cupboards or whatever, and go. Oh, look at this! Now we're flicking back through it. Yeah. When when the massive alien mothership arrives and blows up Google headquarters, and there's no internet, we'll still have our Independence Day. We'll still have the exclusive pictures from Independence Day. There we go. (laughs) Print will never die. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's an awesome little magazine. I miss stuff like this. Cool. Cool. Well, awesome. um, This and Stu, as as I said at the start, I was so pleased that you invited me back. Um presumably that means at least some people listen to what, <laughs> what I have to go on and on about. But uh, even if it's just you. It's, so, it's
1: yeah. That's, like I say, I just enjoy having these chats so and it was really nice to talk about this film. That's just, you know
2: I was gonna say it's it's not gonna be an Oscar winner, but it did win an Oscar, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like it's got it's actually uh, and I do, I do once again say thank you for picking this one because it was pleasing for me to go back to see a film. I honestly, I'd never, I'd never watched this again if it hadn't been for you saying let's watch it. And I'm really glad I did because I appreciate it in a whole different light. And uh, I think I'll actually go and have a bit of a Bill Pullman binge now nice. and see what I can find. Maybe rewatch Lost Highway and some of his other movies. And uh, yeah. yeah, so
1: thanks for that. No, you're welcome. Like I say, thanks for coming on and talking about it with me, and thanks for coming back to 1996. Okay. Who says we're not stuck in a
2: time bubble? No man. Let's uh, let's just work through every film in 1996. I'm down for that. We've got Twister. There's always Twister. <laughs> I just hey yeah I guess I suppose so. We could talk endlessly about that flying cow. That's it. Let's uh, see if we can find the Twister magazine. I just, we know I just, it's we... out there. It's advertised in somewhere. I just realized I kind of missed a trick as corny as it would have been. I should have said, there it is. There, there it is. is. I should have said at the start of this in my, my best uh hillbilly redneck accent. Hello boys, I'm back. <laughs> and may I just say I can't wait to go back and kick some of those aliens' ass for abducting me. They did Eye sex roll. stuff. <laughs> That's the prequel. <laughs> Why did they bother making a sequel? They could—they had the Randy Quaid prequel lined up. You
1: know, just find out it was completely different aliens. It was the good ones from the sequel. Yeah, That's why they brought him back, because I don't see why those aliens would have put him back otherwise. So, Stu,
2: do you really think you can fly this thing? Do you really think you can do all that bullshit you just said? <laughs> is the fat lady singing, Stu? The fat lady is singing.
1: Elvis yeah. has left the building. Cheers for this, man. I really enjoyed it. Good night. Thanks once again.
3: Sorry, sir. Good job. Thank you.
0: Well done, Captain. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. David. Not bad. So
1: this is healthy? Oh, I can get used to it. fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> that was Independence Day. And why not? I'd like to thank Ross for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. At the time of recording, Independence Day is available in the UK on DVD, Blu-ray and 4K from 20th Century Fox. It's also available to watch digitally on Disney+. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and members of seeing the film and we had a couple of replies. At John Tucker Art on Twitter said, I forget who said it. Heard a comedian once say that their plan to sneak onto the mothership by having a human drive a 50-year-old Roswell model spacecraft would not have tricked the aliens any more than a human would be tricked by a tortoise driving an Edsel onto, onto your driveway. I think about this every time I see the film. I do love it, though. At DC Movies on Twitter said, I remember seeing this in Mars Attacks the same year. After this movie, a guy said to his friend, that was one of the best movies ever. And his friend replied, I don't know about that. After Mars Attacks outside the cinema, a guy exclaimed, what the hell was that? If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation where you see this episode posted on our social media channels so if you aren't already, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, or why not join the And Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will we be kept up to date about movies that are coming up, and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media, or check out the links in the show notes. I've also updated our website, and more specifically the pages on which the episodes are posted, uh, with each episode having its own dedicated page now, on which you can find links to the episode on Acast, show notes and links, Uh, and a whole host of bonus stuff, including, in the case of Independence Day for example, trailers, the Siskel and Ebert review, old toy adverts, book and magazine covers and more. You can also leave comments on the episodes there as well. Head to hauntednerds.com and click on the And Why Not page in the podcast section, or check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast, or if you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful for a rating or a review if you have a single or two to spare. Or don't, we're just grateful that you spent the time listening to us, thank you. If you missed any of the Am Why Not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, we'll be back on Tuesday, the 11th of July, as we kick off this year's summer specials. And this year, we're celebrating 85 years of my favourite comic book hero, Superman, with our Summer of Superman specials. Not only is the man of Steel himself turned 85 this year, but in terms of cinema, several screen Superman adaptations are hitting anniversaries, with Superman 3 celebrating its 40th anniversary, the Lois and Clark pilot hitting its 30th, and Man of Steel hitting its 10th. So join us over the next six weeks where I'll be joined by Michael Bailey, Alan Burke, Rob O'Connor, Matt Truax, and Anthony Desiato. But to kick things off next Tuesday, I'm joined by Damien Edwardson and Dennis Whittle as we celebrate 45 years of Richard Donnan's comic book classic, Superman the Movie. But until then, this has been a Nerds of One of Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moray. Thanks for listening. And remember, I could have been at a barbecue. Bye for now.